The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, this is Scott Norton, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network The young boy, Joshua Smith Here with special guest Co-host, Chris Samsa on today's show, we'll review nights 11 through 13 of the G1 Climax 32 and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the KISS logo. The next episode, this week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for njpwworld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. Visit njpwext.us today for details. And I am here on the air with my co-host, Chris Samsa, not Jeremy Donovan, who bailed on us for his wedding and for his marriage and his honeymoon. How dare he? Chris, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm good. I'm happy to be the second wheel with you, I think, for the first time. And, um, yeah, I mean, congratulations to Jeremy. I My invitation must have gotten lost in the mail um, because I don't <laughs> believe I received it. Um, so I'll have to take that up with the post office. But, I mean, if anything was going to get me to Florida, it may have been Jeremy's wedding, but... You know, it's not, it's not, cool. I had to be home to set up to do this to be helpful. <laughs> you know, I I you know I had to watch all the G one and uh, you know I I probably would have sent a gift though. So here that's that you missing out, pal. Hey, you were listening to the show last week. I told you we could send a donation. So I mean, that's <laughs> on you. <laughs> yeah, that's but a yeah. gift. I my the, presence is also a gift here. The only thing that can get you to Florida, not New Japan Strong in St. Petersburg, Jeremy's wedding, big draw. I listen. I priorities are priorities. Okay. So someone made a joke, and they were like, uh, "You know, I guess Rocky's invitation got left in the mail." And I was like, "You know what? I think if he sent an invitation, Rocky probably show up." He to might this have. Wedding. He might. Have. He's he's about the <laughs> nicest dude on the planet. So like, there's yeah. a chance. There's a definite <laughs> chance that he would have just like shown up and been like, "What's up?" 
the craziest thing for me was I've done it before, but like, man, there's nothing more nerve wracking than reading this rundown. Like, I don't know how Jeremy does it every week. Obviously, I botched a couple times, but like, dang, that's a that's a that's a mouthful. A lot of words to read there. You know, I've had some feedback about that. It, it's kind of a lot at the beginning. And listen. I love you guys, but I always hit that skip two minutes button right at the beginning of the podcast because, like, I know the spiel. And almost, almost every time, two minutes is exactly where you, like, you jump in and you're just like, like, Jeremy's like, young boy, how are you doing? And then all of a sudden, like, there you are. You know, since he's not here, we can do whatever the fuck we want to do on this episode. I've told Jeremy, I'm like, let's try other, like, introductions instead of just, like, Young boy, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, for those who don't know, Jeremy steers the ship. I mean, that seems pretty clear when you're listening to the audio too. But um, listen, yeah, Jeremy's like Jeremy does everything. He does the rundown for these shows, the organization. He like finds all the news stories. He uh, does all the editing, the soundboard. I just show up and talk. Like this is the most involved I've been in years in this podcast. <laughs> and by most involved, he means he read the intro. No, I also he did. Yeah, okay. You did send you sent me news. the rundown too, but bro, but you know what? It takes a long time. Like I have a new appreciation for what Jeremy does. I'm like, dang, this. Like, how does he find the time for this? It's, this has been a crazy weekend, you know, with the the wedding and like the rehearsal and everything, and like all these G1 nights. Like, I'm amazed that I even got to view all of this, but uh, I'm glad I did because probably the best run of shows during the entire g1 this year so far so you know i'm glad you're here for this episode because if it was just me i'd be like probably forgetting most of this (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i mean it's yeah the g1 is certainly heating up and there's been some really good stuff and I, i am excited to be here to talk about it and to uh fill the gap left by the wonderful jeremy donovan as he's on a honeymoon, I guess. Somewhere. He is on his miniature honeymoon. Uh, they mini are, they're they're local here in the area, but you know, there's still orders not to bother the Don. Of course. You know? the Don. <laughs> the El Jefe. And then uh when he comes back, you know, things will resume. He'll be on the show next week. We will have special guest host, Karen Peterson, joining us for five nights of coverage, including the block finals or the quarterfinals or i don't know how they want to what, tuesday? What, what is that? next tuesday yeah that's the last night of block so you'll you'll know who's going into the semis into the semis yeah. right so yep so that's gonna be a big episode she'll be here to help us and uh kind of bridge the gap as jeremy reacclimates to the real world and then i think in october he's got a bigger trip planned so probably right around that ria goku show that got announced so he'll I- I think he's taking all the donations that we've gotten over the past couple of years and he's been saving it up and just, he's going to blow all that on his honeymoon. So, you know what? Cause you don't get any of that. Yeah. He's going to steal it from me. Basically oh. is what my understanding. I thought you guys were friends. <laughs> no, but um, <laughs> we, we do have, no, we are good friends. Um, so uh, to move on here. So today I also like for the first time, um, uploaded the questions to the listeners via the you know internet and like i don't know why but we got more engagement than we ever do i don't know if it's because people don't like jeremy and they're glad that it's you and me or if uh the algorithms are just messed up because i don't know i had like 50 up likes on it or 
I think maybe because I used a photo. I'm not sure. Like, I, I'm not good at this internet thing. But uh, one of the people that commented, 360 Entertainment, said, holy crap, this looks good. Now, this might be a bot. This might be someone who just saw the picture of Jonah versus Okada and Shingo and uh, Osprey and just, like, maybe they're not that acclimated and they don't realize it already happened and they could go on to NJPW World and view it right now. But I'm going to believe that this was someone that found out that you and I were doing the show and they said to themselves, holy crap, this looks good. It looks good. Yeah. So, um, also, I am Castetter said, dot, 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 you're not Jeremy in the Brick Tamlin voice. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it just, it, that is correct. He is but, right. Um, or they are right. We don't know gender. Yeah. But to start things off, we had our first serious question as we go into our review of the several nights in the standings here uh, with longtime friend and sometimes co-host Rich Latta32. He said, how does it feel for the G1 to finally begin? <laughs> my, listen, my G1 never ends. That's true. And, That's and, true. In, my, think... in my world, the G1 is is all the time. Unless it's Wrestle Kingdom season, it's G1 season. It's like a hard split right in the middle of the year. Yeah. Uh, when I start thinking that way, though, I start having like an existential crisis like about the podcast and about like my fandom and like this is never going to end, huh? <laughs> it's just going I mean, that, isn't that why TV stations pay like huge money for pro wrestling is because it, it has no off season and it never ends and it can go on yeah. forever? <laughs> but I think he's referring to the fact that up until these recent string of shows, there were no truly top tier, you know, match of the year contender type classics. And there weren't any nights that were considered by the general consensus as like truly great. And I think that we're starting to get in that territory. So, you know, um, Rich kind of being a hater there sounds like. Uh, this weekend was good, um, so I can understand why. I understand the question. Certainly, it it, it kind of feels like the G one kind of restarted right like we're starting to see mm-hmm. some real things happen in the i mean truly like we're and we're in the middle of the tournament but it also feels like we're closer to the end because there's so many like things right. happening um mm-hmm. important things happening big matches um people being eliminated people pulling ahead like the the standings are starting to have some relevance whereas before they were like everyone's two and one or like jonah hasn't wrestled in 12 days you know it's like (laughs) we're kind of into this we've hit we've hit a groove where they went to osaka osaka's you know a great great landing spot for the g1 every year so we um yeah it does it does feel more like g1 season after this this past weekend well, yeah, that's true. And when you, you mentioned, like, yeah, we're at the halfway point, but kind of when I was looking over this today, I realized there is no competitor that has less than three matches to go. And in most cases, almost everybody has about just two matches left. So, Except for Chase Owens, down. who's, like, done after tonight. Well, tomorrow morning. There are a couple people with just one match left. But for the most part, you know, a lot of them are in that, like, two range. And so we're getting down to the nitty gritty because of how spread out the tournament itself is over the various nights. So that's kind of a, also a, a unique thing because that wouldn't definitely wouldn't have been the case in like a two man or, you know, a 20 man two block situation. Should we 
pause here and talk about how have you felt about the scheduling and just how the like the layout of the tournament this year and i'm sure there's questions about it later but this feels like a good moment to like kind of double click on that just as we were talking about like chase owens is done tomorrow but um you know Fale, cobb lawler archer like all these other guys all have two matches left before chase after chase like one wrestler's done with their tournament like how do you feel about that well i definitely have issues with the layout of the tournament because of the way that it's kind of fed into you know the overall vibe of the nights and also match quality as a whole it doesn't, you know, extend itself to serving that sort of like epic G1 classic nights the way we normally would get in the two, you know, in the two block situation. But from like the sporting fan, you know, kind of Grand Prix aspect where it's a little more kayfabe, it does add a lot more intrigue. And now that we're at this point, if you've been following along, I mean, we've got this situation here with, uh, and we're going to talk about them here in a second, Jonah and Okada, for instance, where, you know, Jonah just beat Okada. They both got two matches to go, and they're tied at six. And it did essentially keep a lot of people alive. And so there's a lot more scenarios that are sort of at play. And that's kind of fun, you know? So I, I there are things I like about it. There are things I don't like about it. Like, for instance, over the last week, I mean, certain big time players like say David Finley he's leading his block but he didn't wrestle at all this past week and so he's been iced a bit who knows what's going to happen when he jumps in and maybe that fits the narrative I don't know um that I do think that it takes away from the overall urgency and also attention of a lot of fans where like you can easily follow the narratives that are going on in two blocks and at night overnight and kind of keep tabs and track of that. It's much harder to do that over the course of, you know, this, this larger field with four blocks. So, I mean, I I definitely think there's good things about it. There's definitely bad things about it. My feeling is that in the future, if they want to do this again, they need to have nothing but top tier elite level wrestlers, that would be the biggest thing that could I feel like could improve this as opposed to maybe having people in there that you're like, I don't know if, you know, people that you would think were like on the bubble, like a Ujiro, for instance, if you replace him with like, say, uh, Brian Danielson, we'd be, that's a different look completely. Yeah. It's a totally different conversation. Yeah. I, I think it does allow for like different jumping in points which I think is mm-hmm. nice. Like right now is a really good jumping in point because now we have 10 days left of this tournament. I think something like that, nine, 10 days, give or take. And we kind of, things have shaken out already, right? You've got guys like Yano who's already out. Hanare is right. already out. Um, Ishii's already out. Actually a bunch of B block guys are already out. Um, and then you've got the top that's still mostly compact, right? Like you've got, like you said, you've got Jonah and Okada sitting at the top of the A block, but you've got a bunch of dudes within one match. Uh, if you're looking at things kind of like how far behind guys are, and most of, most of them have two two matches left and they're down by one. And like, it's the G1, right? Jonah and Okada, they can both lose another match somehow, right? I, I don't have their right. schedules in front of me, but like, in theory, that's an option, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, this, I guess, is kind of the two-thirds point, and it, 
that's a good jumping in point. So if you're if you're listening to this and you haven't been like paying attention, don't go back. Don't bother right. unless you want to see some, you know, there's good matches and stuff. There's a lot to see, especially this past weekend in Osaka, but jump in. Just watch the show on Tuesday and Wednesday and and you'll be all caught up and it'll be great. Well, the the one positive here is like normally at this point you know, nights 12, 11, 12, 13, those are usually the, the nights where the tournament is grinding and it's like really hard to keep up with what's going on. And there's a lot of low stakes things taking place. I mean, you know, every year I kind of joke with Jeremy, I'm like, oh God, night 11 of the G1, you know, but here it's a little different because of the nature of how it's laid out. It Everything means more at this juncture of the tournament as opposed to how it would have been previously. So that's kind of nice there. Um, but let's jump into the standings here, and we're going to talk about each competitor and then uh, discuss the different matches that kind of go along with them. So starting off with um, the leader of the A block, who he has jumped the previous leader, it is Jonah sitting at the top with six points. He's got two more matches to go. On night 11, Jonah de- uh, defeated Jeff Cobb 14 minutes and 15 seconds. And then on night 13, Jonah defeated in a huge surprising upset the Rainmaker, Kazushiko Okada, 21 minutes and 53 seconds. We have a few questions here, but, you know, um, what were your thoughts on these matches, Chris? And uh, are you surprised to see Jonah here? I'm not surprised to see Jonah here because I think um, I think Jonah is a talented guy and he's he's someone that new japan wants to believe in and they want him to be a part of the plan going forward so if you really look at it okada had to lose to someone at some point and you want that to be a really meaningful moment and i think they accomplished that by having jonah take that win and if you look at the rest of the block the other guy that would have been really interesting would be someone like tom lawler and that match is still to come and there's no there's no saying that okada is not gonna take a take an l here so jonah though on the on the other hand like he's not someone that i think the fandom was super excited to see on the on the list of competitors when they announced the g1 but anyone who's been watching strong probably had a good vibe that he was gonna have a good run here and he's had a pretty good g1 the matches with Cobb and okada have been excellent and like kind of those those are the guys in that block that you really want to show up and and have a good match with um when it when it really comes down to the rest of the block i mean it's the monster block right you don't have Mm -hmm. that much um i guess work rate right you've got these guys that that are monsters and they um they've wrestled like that i mean the the average match length in a block is like four minutes shorter than any of the other blocks um and that's a huge span when you're looking at you know an average of say 16 minutes give or take which is pretty normal for a g1 if you go if i go back in history the b block the c block and the d block are all 16 17 minutes a block 12 minute average most of the, some of these guys l- live in under a 10 minute match average and that makes sense for these big beefy dudes and it's right. just it's it's much more like a big heavyweight block which is super fun um and jonah clearly um He's a heavyweight for sure. So he he definitely kind of can can leverage that and you know kind of 
do some damage. So Jonah's been really cool to watch. It's it's a I, I don't know where this is going. Is he gonna win the block or was that his moment? Um, I mean he's positioned to. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> I, I'm for it. I mean, I've said from the beginning that anyone can win any block right now because the semis get sure. away, right? So if you need to, you know, book someone out, the semis can serve that purpose. Well, when we did the preview, I mean, you know, there was the entire question about, okay, Jay is likely to win his block and Okada's likely to win his block, but then they're facing off, you know, against one another in the semifinals and then potentially what happens with, you know, the fall title defense and then are they going to end up again at Wrestle Kingdom? And I mean, we've seen New Japan do trilogies like that in the past and even recently this year so it's not unfathomable but i don't think that's as creatively interesting but when you throw in a monkey wrench like a jonah or something like that or you know probably a tamatanga you know that kind of opens the door for other you know more interesting things to happen i do agree with you here though uh i thought that both of these matches were really great and considering the kind of g1 that Cobb and uh okada had last year and how favored they both were coming into this year's A block. Um, the fact that Jonah like beat them on back-to-back, you know, performances pretty convincingly too. Like, I mean, even if he doesn't win the block, that sets the stage for him to be like a main player here. And I'll tell you, I've got friends and um, you know, just different people that have been kind of low on Jonah. Maybe not because of the work that they like, not people that were watching strong, but like because the way he was presented in NXT, you know, and that's mm-hmm. what a lot of like more kind of modern casual fans have seen, uh, or I shouldn't say casual, but like, you know, Western fans have seen more of that work than anything else. And, you know, they maybe didn't see these kind of performances and they don't have this kind of perception of the type of talent or, or you know, quality uh, performer he is. And just watching these matches, I was like, holy fuck, this guy's better than like, I even knew he was. And I'm like, okay, like, this is for real, like, for real, for real. Like, Jonah can, like, be a top guy in New Japan, like, easily. He fits in like a glove. Oh, yeah. he can, Or if nothing else, he can definitely have a good, solid run and establish himself and just be a guy that they can always go back to, which I think is really valuable, too. And that's kind of the Cobb lane. I think it has been recently, but it's it's very cool to bring someone in and and give them that shine, and th- that I feel like is a step in the right direction when it comes to the G one, where um, finally somebody new. And I, it, part of it's just that in twenty 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 one, like you couldn't get anyone new in, but right. now that we can, it's good to see that we're leveraging it right and making something out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um. And again, can't say like can't speak more highly of these matches. I mean, Jonah and Jeff Cobb was like the epitome of what we wanted out of this monster block. Two giant behemoths going out there and just having a an incredibly physical war it was like literally a kaiju battle, and uh, could have gone either way. And Jonah picked up the win there. But uh, you know, last week I was looking at the math and I thought it made sense for Jonah to beat Okada. But even watching it live, I still like had that like. You know, that thing in the back of my mind, like, LOL, Okada wins. And then right when Okada went to... And the whole match, like, yeah, Okada is, like, still coming back and everything. And, and he's having these rallies. But they gave a lot to Jonah. 
And and there was something where I'm watching it in the back of my mind. I'm like, oh, okay, I see what's happening. Okada's looking for fresh rivals that he can have big matches with down the line, and he's doing everything in his power to make Jonah look like a million bucks. And that's exactly what happened here. And the penultimate moment where he goes to the top, he goes for the John Woo double dropkick, and Jonah turns that into a powerbomb. Like, me, along with the Japanese audience, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, he's going to win. <laughs> and then he picks him up, gets him closer, and powerbombs him again. And, I'll, like, you hear the crowd, like, roar. And this has been a totally docile, quiet crowd. And then he goes to the top, and the people are like, <gasps> and then he freaking splashes him. And they counted the one, two, three. Like, this is the loudest I've heard, yep. like, a quote-unquote clap crowd during the entire pandemic era. Like, my mind was blown. It The last, whatever, 30 seconds of that match... Yeah. There was no clap crowd. Like <laughs> yeah. that was the they were they were cheering. Like they yeah. were that was it. Um and it was cool. It was very cool to see. It was very cool that Jonah of uh, out of anyone got that reaction because it was so surprising that this guy who like just showed up beat mm-hmm. Okada, right? And right. like like they knew because in in either the undercard tags or in Jonah's previous matches he they knew how he wins right? right like they were attentive enough to know how he wins a match so that was and and honestly when a big dude like that goes up on the top rope you're you're gonna hem and haw a little bit you know you're gonna want to make some noise and i'm glad they did of course i'm glad they did because why not right but um and that's a whole nother discussion but it was it, it's so cool to be able to go into that and be like that's right that's what this feels like because like that brings the audience in with it that's watching on tv and when the yeah. audience in the building is is with it and it it was a nice reminder of how important crowds are in pro wrestling and how much they can actually elevate a match and if you haven't seen it go watch it it's a great time um I watched it live. I'm glad I watched it unspoiled. I was, I mean, I kept waiting. You know, you wait for the turnaround, right? You just right. You, you sit there and you're waiting for, you know, okay, Okada, this is a great moment. Maybe they made Jonah in a loss, but then he won. And like that, that last hand hit well, the mat. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> when Okada went to the top, that was like quintessential Okada like okay I'm getting ready to turn things around this is part of my like usual routine and it was it was for not um Charlton actually on the commentary sort of drew a similar like uh you know he he painted the picture that this was similar to when Anoki got beat by Vader Vader right wasn't quite the same thing but like I can definitely see how you know down the line I mean there these guys are definitely similar contemporaries of that sort of, you know, foil and down the road, I think they're going to be able to have a lot of other great matches together. So um, Jonah's sitting at the top of the block. He's tied with Okada six points. He's got two more matches. Um, and most of the block behind those guys all have four points or, you know, less. And so, for any of them to win, they're going to need things to shake out in a very specific way when it comes to Jonah and Okada's remainder of their tournaments. Um, we do have some questions here that we should get to. Uh, intelligent underscore end 1516, he said, after his performances against Cobb and Okada over the weekend, Jonah should be booked to win that block, 
right? Um, we kind of just went over that. Maybe, right? I mean, I would love to see somebody fresh go into the semis. Mm-hmm. And Jonah is probably the most likely candidate to be that. So maybe it's t- it's so hard for me to like mentally put someone past Okada. Yeah. In this block. Like there's there's nobody at that level, but also do you well do you really need to knock him out to, in the semis? It comes down to the Jay White question, you know? Yeah. Is Jay gonna get past Tamatonga or is Tamatonga gonna upset him and solidify a spot for himself? And then depending on how you see that going, is gonna depend on how you really or you know, basically predict the A block and for me, I have that same trouble. I, I still have trouble seeing anybody getting past Okada. But at this point, if Jonah and Okada end up tied, Jonah's going to be the too, guy. Yeah. yeah, and he also holds the tiebreaker over Jeff Cobb and everything like that. So it's a tough one. And Jonah um, is wrestling on the last night as well yeah. as Okada. So it's the last night is Jonah versus Bad Luck Fale and Okada versus Archer. So... Mm. I think the li- the most likely scenario is that they both go into that tied. And if, I guess, if Jonah beats Fale, he goes through, right? Yeah. Well, if Okada wins his next match and then Jonah loses his next match, they, you know what I mean? Yeah. Then, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then there Jonah, could be a situation so, yeah. where, like, Jonah still wins his final match against Fale. And if Okada doesn't win, they're tied. But if Okada does win or whatever, then he passes him. So, you know, yeah, I'll leave and, that step up to you, though, because you're better with the uh, final scenarios down the stretch. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of my thing. I My big, <laughs> my big board. You, y'all can't see it, but it's here. Um, the By the time people listen to this, Jonah will have had his match with Archer. So, right. because that's in less than 12 hours now so yeah well you'll know more than we do as <laughs> as you're listening to this that dude named menace asked where would you rank jonah versus okada so he didn't give any context to this question i'm assuming he means i don't know maybe he's asking for star rankings or rank you know ranked within the confines of this year's g1 um i would definitely say it's a top tier match um me personally I, it was not my favorite match of the night. I thought it was fantastic, but like me, me personally, I liked Ishii and Chase Owens better from the same night. Yeah, I I think it may be the most important match of the tournament so far. Yeah, if, if I mean, you could make a case for for some of the David Finley stuff too, but well, I'm, I'm sure we'll get there. But. When it comes to beating a top tier talent, someone that you 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 didn't expect to beat, someone in the top tier, um, this is this is that moment. So I I do think that 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 means something. Well, you know, we talk about star making performances, and that that term gets thrown around pretty loosely. But I mean, you could combine the reactions of every night that. And I love him, but every night Dave Finley won a big match in this tournament, and they still wouldn't amount to the reaction Jonah got beating Okada. So, I mean, that would tell you something there. I mean, I don't know that there's anyone else in the company that you can beat that that right. would get that sort of reaction. 
right? So, because right. at this point, I mean, who else? Naito, I guess, right? But he's kind of building himself back up here. Uh, and besides that, I guess you've got White, right? Because he's a champ and and he's pretty pretty well protected. But other than that, if I'm I'm, I'm scrolling down the list here, I mean, Osprey's there, up there. You know, Shingo has his moments, but I mean, when it comes to like real true top of the top of the mountain, right. it's Okada. And if you can, if you beat Okada, then you're you are you're a little bit of a made man. But just to um, you know, I, I'm not like Jeremy. I haven't kept uh, my grapple. Actually, the grapple app's down, but like I know Jeremy keeps a running tally of all the star ratings. So I'm not like him. I don't have everything categorized necessarily, but this one was really high up there. Definitely one of the best matches of the tournament so far. Uh, if I had to go star ratings, I'd probably go four and a half. Like, so that's telling you something. Um, at Rambone Slam Pig asked, Do you have any thoughts on the logic of having Jonah lose Diano early in the tournament and then beat Okada later? And before I give it to you, Chris, I'll just say it's the G1. Yeah. And it's Yano. That's that's the logic. Well, the th- you know, the thing about Jonah and the, the, the selling point right now is that he hasn't been pinned or submitted. Um, and that doesn't mean he hasn't lost, obviously. So that but but that does mean something. He lost by count out. I hadn't even thought of that, to be honest. Yeah. So yeah. and that's I think within I'd have to go back and look at, you know, strong results and stuff, but I'm sure Jonah hasn't taken the L in any No, of... he hasn't. Yeah. Not in America yet. And I mean, if you think about it, it's similar booking to Moxley a few years ago. He got Yano'd. Well, right. this guy got Yano'd. Everyone gets Yano'd. Right. I mean, we've seen Kenny Omega and, you know, Kota Ibushi and, also, and Tanahashi. All sorts of guys get Yano'd. Like, yeah. it, that's just what it is. That's why he's there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because otherwise, what? Jonah's undefeated. Then you got a different story. We should have known that when he beat him the first night that that was like, oh, okay, that's a that's a red flag. They're going to push this guy. I mean, I kind of did. I said it among friends. I was like, that mm. that means something. It's that's That's more than just a balancing loss. Like, that's... He's taking that loss because he's going to... He's about to rattle off some wins. And you he sure as hell did. But not this friend. You didn't tell this friend. So. We haven't talked. <laughs> we, had, we had time on the books to talk right now. Here we are. So um, moving on, we have Okada. We just discussed his most recent match. He only had one match this week against uh, Jonah. So he's sitting at six points. He also has two more matches left to go. And, I mean, the again, it just the most interesting thing is, like, he was undefeated going to this match. He's taken the big loss. And it's sort of the, the question now is, how is he going to rebound from this loss? And are him and Jonah collectively going to put themselves in a position in the next few nights to leave the rest of the pack behind and kind of eliminate the rest of the field? Or are we going to see both of them maybe drop a loss between the next couple nights and maybe keep some of these guys alive, you know? Yeah, the interesting thing is they both have Lance Archer coming up. So mm. Jonah's got Lance Archer next tonight. And then Okada's got him, got Archer on the last night. Mm-hmm. And so Archer could play a role in some sort of three-way tie or, you know, whatever it may be if Archer wins uh, both of those matches. So yeah. that's that's an interesting wrinkle, right? Because Archer's an interesting guy right now, too. He's 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 still in the mix, right? Anybody at four in that block is still in the mix. So Fale, Archer, K. 
Cobb, Lawler. Always, always actually eliminated because he only has Oh, he's only got one match left. Yes, I see that now. I see that on my block table. The Cobb, Archer, and Lawler are all alive. Yeah, and and still in, you know, totally in the mix. And, And that, I think Archer's the most likely to be alive still going into last night because he's got Okada on the last night. Um, and you know, because he's going to be booked strong considering where he comes from right now. And that's, I think that's part of it. Absolutely. One thing I'd like to say about Okada hats off to him. He has proven time and time again, how great of a dance partner he is with the big guys and, you know, basically creating these scenarios where he can have long-term, you know, working programs with them to continue to, uh, you know, draw money. And so like, I wouldn't be surprised if like sometime next year, Okada has the title again and we see him and, uh, you know, Jonah battling for the winged belt. So we did have a question here from Jeffrey Fuss Rowe Dahmer. I don't know if that's a very good uh, name to be using <laughs> online, but uh, he asked, is it possibly time for Okada to have an extended run in an American promotion? So I don't know if he's heard the rumors about WWE's like trying to pick up a, a Japanese talent or something, but, uh, or maybe he's uh, advocating he would be used better in, in uh, you know, Conland. I don't know what this question's about, but uh, yeah, he's trying to, you know, ask us if we think he needs to go to America. Which I would say a big resounding no. He's the ace of the company. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not. not. <laughs> it's not time for that. Maybe uh, you know, maybe in his twilight years. But even so, I don't think his twilight years are going to look better than Tanahashi's probably. So. I, I think he's going to stick around in New Japan for a while. Nice. So moving on, we have um, the rest of the field here coming up. So we've got Jeff Cobb sitting at four points. He's got two matches left. We already uh, kind of discussed on night 11, he was defeated by Jeff Cobb in the giant kaiju monster battle. So what are we thinking about Jeff Cobb at this point moving forward? I mean, he's still in it, and he's got Yano and Lawler. Um, that's what he's got left. So those are both matches he could win. They're both matches I could see him easily losing to. The, sure. He's in a precarious position with those two guys. Sure. Right. Because, like, um, I believe he will be Lawler's last match. Mm. Yeah, I believe that's true. So I I kind of figure Lawler's going to give his all there, and he, he'll go out with a win, even if he loses to Okada here in a couple of nights. So... That is, and and then Yano, always a precarious position, especially because he Yano's only got one win, right? So like, in in story, right? These guys are still still fighting for their spot in next year's G one, right? That's true too. And yeah. like, but well, that's I mean, that's just that's a line that we use from time to time, right? That like you're you're probably not going to make it into the next G one after a one win, you know, a one in five you know performance so not that that'll actually end up being true in all likelihood with someone like toriano even if he ends up with just the 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 two points and everything's a little skewed because of the shorter blocks but um, But it's a little different chris if you think about it there's 28 guys and who's to say they're gonna go back to 28 participants so i mean sure let's say they go back to you know 20 man block that's like eight dudes who are on the chopping block so it's even more you know, uh, precarious than it normally would be. Right. And many times, and I'm sure, you know, the listeners know, like once you're in the G1, you kind of have a standing invite 
to come back, you know, until until you don't. So, you know, some some of these guys, right? Like Yano's been doing this a long time. And mm-hmm. he definitely serves a purpose in the G one and, and people really enjoy to see him, but you gotta wonder if if with the glut of talent that wants to to participate in something like a G1, you you do have to wonder if some of these guys are kind of losing them losing out right now. And and we'll talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about some of those other guys that are doing so. But it's the guys that have been in the G1 for a really long time. Yeah, and as much as you talk about individual, you know, fans who enjoy seeing him, there's probably about the same amount of people on the other side who have been calling for him to not be in the G1 for years because of. You know they're they're over the shtick and they don't get enjoyment out of his stuff and they'd rather it just be kind of kept to like a mid card spot and you know I hear that criticism every single year you know and so there's probably people who would be rejoicing if he was no longer in this tournament which you know that I mean Suzuki's not in it and Mockbay's not in it there's a lot of guys who've kind of been downcycled I that that's a very real possibility yeah and especially at one and four right now. Right. You know, I we, I do think we look back at that stuff, right? I do think mm-hmm. that that comes into play where we're looking at next year and who might be out and they get booked accordingly. Well, the last thing I'll say about uh, Jeff Cobb is just it's very interesting how last year, you know, he was presented as this Titan monster. He went undefeated, set these records and everything. But in the monster block, not the same levels of success, you you know, and he's kind of running it ran into two, you know, speed bumps in Okada and Jonah. And those are probably the biggest losses that he didn't want to take. And depending on how things shake out, that's probably going to be what keeps him out of a block contention regardless. Yeah, because those are tough tiebreakers to not have, especially yeah. at this point. Right. So that that makes it, it a huge uphill battle for Jeff Cobb. Yep, but we'll see how that shakes out. Let's move on. We have Bad Luck Fale. He is eliminated at this point. He's got uh, one more match. He was defeated on night 13 by Tom Lawler, uh, 11 minutes and 5 seconds, and he's got one more match remaining. So at this point, Fale pretty much would be playing spoiler Mm -hmm. moving forward. Yeah, playing spoiler and and always a guy... So Fale, the A block's the only block with with only one Bullet Club member. Mm. So whatever happens with Fale, you you have to figure there might be some bearing on what's going on with Bullet Club. And right now, I don't I don't know how you where you put that right unless you're looking at the the last night of the block and there's a bunch of Bullet Club guys on on last night of block. So um, yeah. There's not a lot to say about Fale. No. So the only the only thing is, you know, some of those discussions we just had about people that could potentially be on the bubble. Like, I don't think Fale's spot is necessarily in trouble, considering how tenured he is, and he's a man of size, and he kind of fits an important role. But he also is someone who historically doesn't perform from a match quality standpoint in those high levels either you know what i mean and he definitely hasn't necessarily had any classic performances in this tournament for my money the hardest he worked all tournament long was probably either the okada or the lance archer match and people derided the lance archer match because of the bad finish so i mean um you know who knows like 
is it possible down the line, Lance, like uh, Folly could be a guy that could be maybe disinvited from a G1 if they go to a smaller block? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Folly's got enough going on in regards to the Folly Dojo and, and things mm-hmm. of the sort. And I, I think, you know, I, I do think he serves a role here, and I think he's perfect for the monster block. But um, I... You know, we'll see what that match against Jonah brings, right? Because that's going to be an important match. Well, that's the thing. In the past, I would have said no. You know, Fale had a very secure spot in this company because he's a monster. But now there's other monsters. We got, we got a bunch of monsters now, yeah. <laughs> now that there's other monsters, like, bro, you're not the only monster in this company. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's an interesting take. And, I, you know, he's going up the monster of all monsters in this block in Jonah. So, he does have something to prove, even if he's out of the tournament. I mean, he's the old guard going up against the new guard. That's going to be a very interesting match from that standpoint. Right. So if Jonah wins that match, is that a passing of the torch? I don't know. It might be. Could be. Definitely could be. Um, the next guy we've got up is Lance Archer. Again, he's at four points. He has two more matches left to go. And on night 12, he defeated Toriano nine minutes and 14 seconds now. For those of you listening, you'd be like, yeah, of course, Lance Archer, he's, of course, it's going to be, you know, uh, Toriano. But historically speaking, it's my understanding that he doesn't always do so hot against uh, Toriano. And so this was a, this was definitely one that he could have potentially lost. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the Yano role, the, the banana peel, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, so he has Okada on the last night and he has Jonah, like I said, tonight basically in, mm-hmm. in a couple of hours so we're gonna know a lot more about where we're headed with lance archer after that match with jonah he's either gonna be headed into spoiler land where he's just trying to spoil okada or he's gonna be in the mix and they're they're right. all gonna be in the mix on that last night which um could be could make for some fun times yeah and i will say this about the yano archer match um i haven't been a huge as like interested or entertained by some of the Yano antics in this tournament as it happened from previous tournaments. But for me, I I'm thinking that the Lance Archer match might be the high mark for Yano comedy in this tournament. And, uh, well, maybe, I don't know. The Tom Waller match is really good too. That was good. That was good. But the, the Archer match, the way that he like still maintained this monster, you know, blah, blah, blah. But he kind of went outside of his comfort zone and he's, He's taping up Yano and, you know, everything like that. The, the way they, uh, you know, got – who was it? Was it Yuto Nakashima got tied to yeah. him on the outside? There's just a lot of cool stuff going on there. And then ultimately, ultimately like, Archer just, you know, uh, what's his finishing move? The fucking thing where he puts him over his head. The blackout? Yeah, he hit him with the blackout. It's like, that's awesome. Like, go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> so – yeah, we'll see what happens with Archer from here on out. And then um, last two, so we got Tom Lawler, and he was kind of, you know, down at the bottom of this thing last week. But since then, he has re, uh, rebounded by defeating Bad Luck Fale. He's at four points. He has two more matches. And that Fale match was one where, no, the match wasn't quite great or a classic, but I think Lawler did a lot to get as much out of Fale as he possibly could. And they had a, a pretty titanic back-and-forth struggle. And the fact that he was able to ultimately get that uh, nasty knee on the brain on, on Fale was pretty impressive there. Yeah, it it 
Waller really shined in that match, and I think Waller's had a really good tournament. Um, and and yeah, getting that win over Fale and focusing on the nasty knee on the brain as his finish for this tour has been really a good move because it is something that you he can hit on anyone if he gets them either to their knees or to the ground and he has made good use of that and I, you know Lawler I think he's been a great addition to the tour and a great addition to the G1 I would love to see him in I guess a more traditional G1 in a two block 20 20 wrestler but um but otherwise, I mean, even in, in this scenario, he's been he's been a delightful addition. And and even if he doesn't pan out, he's got again, he's got Okada and then he's got Cobb. So he's gonna have a he's got a tough haul towards the tail end here, but hopefully he snags himself at least one more big win. Well, we talked about um last week how anybody that had Okada still on the docket had a ticket to possibly really make themselves in this block. And we saw how Jonah did that. Hypothetically speaking, if Lawler were to also beat Okada, um, that could obviously punch his ticket to maybe even being in contention for the block, but also kind of solidify him as the other outside guy who is really to be taken as a serious threat the same way that it did for Jonah. Because, I mean, we weren't having the kind of discourse about Jonah last week that we are now. We weren't getting questions in our mailbox about Jonah last week. Now everybody's crazy about the guy. Same thing could happen if Lawler goes out there and he knees Okada to death and then yeah. pins this guy, like, or chokes him out. Like, who knows? You know what I mean? And um, I also like the idea of, you know, we've seen in the past where there've been there's been stagnation with uh, the different units and groups in, in New Japan, but over in America, they've formed these other units like Team Filthy, like Team DK, and to send their leaders over here. I think if they were to hypothetically both win big key matches to kind of, you know, um, establish those groups here, that sort of freshens things up overall for the product as well. Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you bring in somebody new and they make a mark, then that that's going to make for a fresher product so and a fresher just fresh matchups i mean that's what has for me has been so fun about this g1 is that there's a bunch of new guys and there's a bunch of new guys interacting with the old guys and it does feel like we're turning a corner to a new generation almost (laughs) And, and you know generation in new japan means something totally different but we're we're stepping back into the international promotion space right with a lot of guys who speak english a lot of guys from the uk or or the us or australia or new zealand a lot of guys from all over the world in the g1 and that has been such a breath of fresh air after two kind of stagnant g1s where you saw just kind of the same guys who've been wrestling each other for a very long time and Mm -hmm. you know to be perfectly honest i think that's why like a block like the c block doesn't have more hype because all of these guys, all those guys have wrestled each other. And you kind of, even though those matches are oh, awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But, I agree with you. But what's got the hype? Jonah versus Okada. Right. Right. Absolutely. That's what gets the hype in G1 season. Jonah versus Okada. A guy like David Finley beating Shingo, Will Ospreay, Juice Robinson, right? Like those are the things that people want to see in a G1. And those are the things that have a much deeper meaning 
in this mm-hmm. scenario right now and it is it is cool to see that corner getting turned regardless of um kind of how it plays out for our, our boy lawler over here well he's got one of the biggest matches of his career right in front of him coming up on the horizon with okada so and then finally we kind of covered it there toriano two uh points he's been eliminated he's at this point essentially just playing spoiler i don't have much more to add i've kind of gave my discourse on Yano during this segment. <laughs> yeah, he's just got the one more match left against Cobb. Okay, awesome. So let's move on, and we have the B block, where things are a little bit more simple than any of the other blocks. Standing at the top of the mountain, we have Jay White. He is undefeated at this point. Eight points. He has two more matches left to go. And based on his most recent win, which was a defeat of the Great Okan, 18 minutes and 14 seconds on night 12, that has effectively eliminated Sonata, Chase Owens, Great Okan, and Tomohiro Ishii in this block because all of those guys have four points, and even if Jay were to lose the remainder of his matches, he's got wins over most of those guys as it stands anyways and he would win the tiebreaker so i mean all of those guys he has win those are all of his wins gotcha and i wasn't totally sure yeah but yeah Mm -hmm. i i knew that earlier when i did it but like since we're on there i'm like "Ah, i'm just gonna hedge my bets and say like (laughs) use the safe verbiage but but yes um so i mean you know coming up he basically has sonata and taichi on the docket those are the guys that are in front of him he's got taichi and tamatanga isn't that what I said? You said Sonata. I don't. Yeah, I just I read that. That's incorrect. Tamatong and Tai Chi. Um, but before we uh, discuss all that, I do want to say I really did enjoy the Great Okan Jay White match quite a bit. Yeah, that match was awesome. Um, really, really enjoyable match. And even in defeat, Great Okan looked like I mean, he looked like a stud. He looked like a star, and he was doing something that you don't see all that often and the finish was great um great Ocon had a claw on jay white and jay white somehow maneuvered himself into the position he needed to be in to execute the switchblade and he did it but Ocon still had the claw right. on jay just for a split second where you you had that moment of doubt where you're like mm-hmm. oh maybe Jay won't be able to turn and do the cover or it'll take him a second and that'll give, you know, Okan the recover and the out. space to kick out. And yeah. he didn't, but it, there was that brief moment during the count where you're like, it, is he, is he gonna? And uh, he didn't, but it was a great finish. It was a great match. Those, those guys actually had really good chemistry for guys who hadn't worked a singles match together. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really, really cool. Really enjoyable match. The way so when I was watching this, I actually watched this just before I got to the uh, wedding, and I hadn't finished <laughs> like it. in a limo, like watching it on your phone. Yeah, and um, I was surprised at how much of the offense Jay was taking. It seemed like Great Ocon was like kind of getting eaten up a little bit, and it was basically Jay staying on on you know being on top for most of it, and Ocon being defiant and getting a lot of comebacks and. I told Jeremy when I like got there, I was like, yo, I don't want to spoil anything, but I think Okan's about to beat Jay White. And he's like, why? And I was like, because Jay White's kicking his ass like the whole match. And I was like, and it feels like at this point from where I stopped the match, 
if he doesn't win, like he's just going to get sunned. Like this is almost a, a quasi extended squash. Then when I, once the wedding was over and I left and I restarted, the, you know, started from where I left off, that's basically where Ocon starts his comeback rally. And I'm like, oh, okay, they like, they're making this guy look incredible. But um, what I think the, the big story of it was, was like he scouted the, uh, what is what's Jay White's finisher's name? I always fucking forget it every time. Switchblade, right? Is it the switchblade or is it the or is it the it's the blade runner? Blade runner, my goodness! <laughs> if it's well, not was, right in front of me, I have no idea what it is. Well, I was not a moose guy either. I always want to call it the sister Abigail. Well, and then I'm like, <laughs> oh, it's the switchblade. No, the sister Abigail is when they kiss on the forehead. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, uh, this, you know, Steve Borden and Jim Helwig, the, the Blade Runners. And, um, it seemed like Ocon had this scouted because when he went to go for it, he stopped the move and put the claw on and he was, it was like the trump up his sleeve, you know, the ace up his sleeve. Like he was like, gotcha, bitch. Like, he's like, I've been waiting for this. I mean, it's the perfect counter. It's the perfect counter. And I think he would, I think in story he would, he was waiting for this one opportunity for him to try to pull this move out. And he's like, I got you. And it almost worked. It almost worked, but Jay is so good Mm -hmm. at audibling on the spot to where the way you, you mentioned him maneuvering, the way he maneuvered was he turned his body and he did almost the same kind of kickback that you would do for an STO, but he kicked the, the soft part of his knee. So he went down, right? And that leverage is how he was able to, you know, jerk him over. But yeah, you're right. He still had the claw the whole time, and I was like, oh my god! In the future, I'm not going to be surprised if Great Khan beats this man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This definitely set up something down the line where this whole thing happens again, but it doesn't work out in the way for Jay White, and I, I love that because I that's the type of stuff that. New Japan rewards their fans for paying attention to, right? So right. now this whole thing's going to happen again, right? And Okan's going to have the claw. Jay's going to go for the Blade Runner. And no one's ever going to kick out of the Blade Runner. It's going to be a really long time before anyone kicks out of the Blade Runner. But mm-hmm. he's not going to be able to get it because Okan's going to have some counter to Jay's counter. And that that's classic New Japan is, is counter finishes and yeah, it just, um, for some weird reason, I had the thought of, like, Floyd Mayweather. One of the things, watching him in his prime was, like, his ability to, on the fly, adjust his... Ta- like, so, there was a few times in his career, whether it was at Judah or Miguel Cotto or, you know, uh, Shane Mosley, where guys would find a tactic that would work it, for a short period of time against him. And then what he was good at doing was basically taking what they gave him and when they hurt him or even uh, Marcos Maidana and adjusting on the fly and finding a tactic that put him back on top where he was able to like readjust and still beat them, even if it was something he wasn't prepared for. And there's very few like people in fight combat sports that have ever been able to do that sort of thing. And that's what we talk about when we, when they use that term ring generalship, you know, and ring awareness and everything like that. That's kind of what was displayed in this match from a storyline standpoint with Jay White. Like the fact that he was able to, even in the midst of something he wasn't prepared for, still adjust at the last second and find a way to win. So that was pretty cool. Um, we did have a question here from Pulmonary Archery. He said, Will Jay White 
stay undefeated until the semis. And if not, who's going to beat him? Now, I do appreciate the question, but I was a little confused by it because he's only got two more opponents, and uh, I think we all know who they <laughs> who they are. It's either going to be Tai Chi or Tamatonga at this point, basically. I think, I think Jay White's going through the block undefeated. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I, so here's the thing. Every, I don't know. Every really high-level, top-tier New Japan wrestler gets a G1 thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody's got the undefeated block. Ever in history? Or just no, not ever in history, prospect? but like with this, with current kind of, right. not even current, but like last 15 years, 10, 15 sure. years. Yeah. Um, anyone who's still active. So like, you know, Okada had the streak where he he didn't lose a G1 match in so many matches going right. 2018, 2019. Um, you know, Tanahashi, Naito, Jay White, like those are the big four now. And I think that, you know, Ibushi had lots of G1 things, right? Yeah. Um, and and they were making him into Mr. G1, and, and he kind of still is if you can just look at recent statistics and data, right? But um, Jay White... That's such a Jay White thing to go through the block undefeated, even if he doesn't win the the G one, like or he doesn't even win in the semis. Like he's that's such a G one thing to have him win the uh, to win go through the block undefeated. Well, one thing I thought about was, you know, typically. It, if someone's the champion, they're not going to win the tournament. They might win a block. They might go to a finals. They're not going to win the tournament at this, you know, juncture of the way that things are set up. Right. And we all kind of agree Jay's due to win a G1. It's like the one big accomplishment in new Japan that's sort of eluding him. And uh, the common thought is he's not winning this year, but then I started thinking about it and I was like, you know, if they really want to establish him as this like legendary Gaijin figure, what if they just have him win it as champion? And then who knows what comes after that? You know what I mean? For yep. the rest of the remainder of the calendar year. So, I mean, the more that this is going on, I'm, I do still think, you know, we're going to talk about it here in a second. tamatonga has got three more matches. I think he's going to win at least his next two and put himself in position to be that guy that could beat Jay White in the final of the, the block. I don't know. But... If Jay goes through, I think Jay should just maybe win the tournament at that point because he's due to win a tournament anyways. The only way you do that is if you have something really interesting lined up for January 4th. Yeah, or even just something interesting in general at the end of the G1 climax period. You know, and I'm not like uh, this is not a hint. I don't I don't have any like yeah. info, but like who knows if like let's say I don't know. Let's say Kenny Omega shows up at the G1 finals and you're like, oh my God, or something like that. Well, that's what I mean by something really interesting. Right. Um, Right. Like, that's what I mean by something really interesting at the end of the, or for, for Wrestle Kingdom. If you have someone like Kenny Omega, yeah, sure. Jay should win the tournament. Um, Right. But here's the thing. Jay would then have, this, this is interesting maybe. And I'm I'm thinking this through as we're talking. Jay would have the right to a main event title match at 
Wrestle Kingdom, right? Like, that's what you get when you win the G1. That's commonly accepted as what, you know. Historically, yes. His, yeah. What if Jay loses the title between now and then? Oh, wow. Yeah, and then he... And then he uses his briefcase to get back in the main event. I mean, that would fit his character. Totally. I hadn't thought of it at all. Um, I hadn't either until right now. And I don't know how you get to that title match because we're so... We're so ingrained in someone has to beat Jay White so that there's a fall defense. Right. <laughs> right? Like that's, every I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, and that's how this works. But, you know, someone could walk out at the end of the G1 and make a challenge, right? I mean, like, that's kind of how things go in, in the spring. So, well... Regardless of all that um, fantasy booking, which if it happens that way, it'd be very interesting. It would be interesting. He's got Tamatonga and Tai Chi on the docket. And I will tell you this, of all the guys in this block, if there were any two guys that I'd be like, yeah, let's just have him beat Jay just for like the walls. It'd be those two guys. Like, I would love it if like Tai Chi just like, you know, Black Mephisto's this dude. (laughs) Just takes him out, calls it a day. It'd be so cool. <laughs> Heads to the back with Miho. Oh man. But um yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. My my guess, at least for the time being, I think he's gonna beat Tai Chi and then be undefeated going into the match with Tamatonga. And at that point, all bets are off. Who knows what's gonna right. happen? Right. Because here's the thing if Okada's going through, Tamatonga's a good semifinal for Okada based sure. on their history last year. Sure. So that that's a you know if, if that's the direction then that's a that's an interesting match that's a fun match. It's also a very interesting potential fall title defense if we go a more traditional route than what we just kind of booked out. And, sure. Uh, you know, given all the um, you know responses that he's been getting, who knows what that could look like in the midst of an actual crowd that's allowed to cheer. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Someone who's been coming back. All ever since the beginning of the pandemic, mm-hmm. like he's gotten himself over as a babyface Tamatanga. Like, yeah, of course, that sounds like a great fall defense. And since we're on the topic, he's at the he's the next guy in the block. Four points, three more matches to go. He's one of the him and Taichi are the only two guys that still have three matches left to go who are sitting at four points. So he is kind of in a very interesting situation. And again, he is facing Jay White on the final night, so he does need to win the next or at least one of the next matches before he faces Jay most likely, but in a better situation, he probably needs to win the remainder of his matches. Yeah. And he hasn't had much of a tournament for us to like analyze right now. He's sure. only, he's only had the three, the three matches and he has, he actually has quite a ways to go here. Um, and he's had no matches during this past week. Right. Either. Right. He's him, had, as well as not in this block. Yeah. They've had a, kind of a stretch of time off so there's not a lot to talk about except for kind of perspectively like Tamatanga, you, you kind of figure he's going to go into that last match with jay white probably with one loss assuming jay doesn't lose to taichi and then that's gonna be kind of winner take all when it comes down to it sure and uh i guess we'll have to wait to see how that plays out by the time uh you know the show's airing i think he's got a match coming up shortly so you know, they'll probably have a better indication of that than anybody else. Um, after him, we should talk about Sonata. He's got four matches or uh, 
four points, but he is effectively eliminated. So, I mean, the the most interesting thing about this for me is just the fact that he's a former, you know, block finalist just recently in the last couple G1s. And, you know, at this uh, juncture, he's not even in play at all in this block. Yeah, and he's not... I haven't eliminated him yet because three-way ties and things of the sort could could wrap him back in. Sure. Because um, he could end up tied at eight, which is where Jay White is right now. So I haven't italicized him on my block box <laughs> score yet. But he is, I mean, he's right there. So one, one stiff wind and he's out. So, um, but yeah, I mean... Sonata got eliminated relatively early last year, too, if I recall correctly. So since he went to the final in 2020, he's kind of fallen off. After that, we have Taiji. He's sitting at four points. He has three more matches left to go. On night 11, Taiji defeated Chase Owens 13 minutes and 25 seconds. And, you know, the thing with Taiji is... um, he had a lot of time off. We hadn't seen a lot from him. And then they, they brought him into this match with Chase Owens, who's uh, been a, li- a, a bit more active during, you know, certain stretches of the G1 so far. And, um, you know, I was kind of wondering if uh, having all this time off was going to ice him or whether, uh, you know, he was going to kind of be more well-rested and be able to come into this match, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, refreshed and able to perform well. And they did a lot of shenanigans uh, towards the the halfway point of the match where Chase was sort of, um, he got a lot of the early heat, kind of got a a big lead on Tai Chi early on. And they started to really play up his heel tactics where he was trying to make passes at Miho Abe and sort of, um, you know, elicit a reaction from her trying to get her to kiss him on the cheek in the corner. And every time she uh, was defiant and unwilling to give Chase Owens a kiss on the, on the cheek, he would take it out on Tai Chi and say, she was the one that was, uh, you know, causing all this issue and, and making him do it. Now, I don't know if I'm new Japan or if I'm the booker, if I uh, put Chase Owens in a, a situation from a booking perspective where he's trying to, uh, you know, elicit that kind of response from a female. I don't know. That might not be a, <laughs> a, a good idea. But overall, once the match picked up in the second half and it really started getting, you know, to get going, these guys really did have a great match in the second half. And Chase is a guy that's been having a, a fantastic, from a performance standpoint, tournament. And like I mentioned, Tai Chi had, we haven't seen too much from him in the tournament. He kind of been, uh, you know, He's been a little bit more inactive, and we're going to see more of him on the the second half here. But um, they had incredible back and forth, incredible you know counters and, and reversals and near falls down the tail end, and then ultimately it was Tai Chi who was able to get out of the um, package power driver and, and reverse it into a black Mephisto for the one, two, three, 13 minutes and twenty five seconds. Chris, what were your thoughts on this? Um, Taiji has not been all that impressive to me for this tournament. Really? Yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm not very memorable, maybe, is probably the sure. better way to say it. Like, they're, they're just, again, same, similar to Tomatonga, he hasn't had, there's not a lot to draw from right now. Because um, mm. he's got, 
he's he sells three more matches and two of them I think are are kind of big matches that I'm looking forward to in Great O'Conn and Jay White. So right. like those are the guys that I want to see Tai Chi wrestle more frequently than anything. The Chase Owens match was good. The Ishii match was good. The Sonata match, if you like these guys, you like you like that match probably. It was okay. That was his low point, I would say, so far for the tournament. Yeah, so but I there's a long way to go for Tai Chi. I mean, you right. know, halfway through the tournament. He said he was only gonna win two matches. I don't know if you read that interview right before the G one started. No. Um <laughs> He was what he was talking about how he thought Zack Saber Jr. was gonna win either win the block or win the, the tournament. And the interviewer goes, Well, what about you? And he goes, Nah, I'll get like two wins. <laughs> and he's already got his two, so I don't know what we do from here. So um well- It'll be interesting to see. I mean, um, I think Taichi's a guy that they've, you know, pushed to a certain extent, but, um, you know, at the same time, I mean, it's not like someone who is pushed at the top of the card traditionally in this company, even still. So, you know, maybe they throw him a bone. Maybe they, I mean, they've been doing favors for, you know, Chase Owens in this tournament. So, you know, maybe they could throw my boy Taichi a, a bone. I don't know. Well, I was looking at where the, where the, the potential fall defenses were going to come. And, kind of looking for a hometown person, right, to beat Jay White. But if I recall correctly, Taichi's from Osaka? I don't know. Or Hokkaido? Possibly. Either way. I'm never, I'm never good at the hometown stuff when it yeah, comes to Yeah, either way, as I was, like, thumbing through it, trying to look for, like, the most likely person to beat Jay White, Taichi, they're not going to where Taichi is from. Um, and I, mm. I cannot call recall exactly where. So... Um, so I don't think that's the direction. Well, I mean, if that's if he doesn't pick up that win and that's not the direction, then that's just setting the stage for the the big showdown at the end of the block for right. Tamatonga and Jay White. Right. Um, I do think Taichi had a good match here. And, you know, like you said, he's only had a first half of the tournament. And so the jury's still out on the remainder of his tournament. But, you know, I, I think he's going to have a... a Considering the guys that he's got in front of him, I think it's going to be pretty great. And, I, you know, he's also a guy that's got Tam and Tonga in front of him. And that's a pretty big match as well. Yeah, and I kind of like I like some of these guys being backloaded like this because Tai Chi now will be front of mind as we exit the G1 because he's about to have right. three three matches in the last 10 days. Definitely. So um, after that, we got Chase Owens, who has four points and... Down the stretch here, he, like we just mentioned, he uh, was defeated by Tai Chi. But on night 13 in the semi-main event, he defeated in probably one of the bigger wins of his uh, career in singles victory, outside of probably that Tanahashi match from last year. He defeated Tomohiro Ishii in 16 minutes and 50 seconds in what I would call probably a truly great like truly great G1 style classic match. And uh, I was kind of surprised at the way they laid this out. And I mean, this was a clean, clean, clean victory that he got here. Yeah. As surprising as it was, uh, it was also really good. Um, it, was, yeah. it was just as good as it was surprising. Um, Cause I mean, you look at this match on paper and you think Ishii's, Ishii's winning, right? I mean, mm-hmm. but chase came to play. Um, and they had a really, really good, solid match. Ishii gave a lot. Chase took a lot. Um, 
and and at the end of it, I mean, you had a lot, a couple of really excited broadcasters yelling for Chase Owens taking a, a victory. <laughs> they love an upset at the at the broadcast table. So, um, and I love an upset at watching at home. So, I that was that match was great. I mean, it was truly one of the, you know it was it was exactly the reason that you you hope for Ishii to stay in this tournament is because yeah. these matches exist. Yeah, for anybody that's talking about Ishii not being in the tournament, I do understand the logic of it, you know, from a, you know, you need to get the young blood in there and the aging out of certain guys and everything like that. But you, you show me someone that can time and time again go in there and have this kind of quality match with this many different opponents year over year, and you're not going to be able to show me anybody except for, like, maybe Kota Ibushi. <laughs> there's, no, there's nobody in the history of this tournament that's ever done that. Uh, but that's not to take anything away from Chase Owens himself. I mean, he's a guy that on this podcast for years, going back to the Genesis, we've always uh, recognized the, the talents of Chase Owens and how great he was and how underused he might have been and unheralded. And this match kind of went to show like he's not just a, a good little hand, a guy that's great in a utility role, but like when given the opportunity to truly go out there and wrestle at the top levels he's capable of doing it and he showcased it right here um i kind of feel vindicated a few years ago i got um rebuked by one of our listeners for saying that i thought that chase owens was a better wrestler than sonata and they said i was crazy and um maybe maybe there i was being a little facetious when i said that or even uh you know uh kind of uh you know exaggerating a little bit but like i don't know in 2022 give me chase owens over sonata <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly more interesting. Yeah. So, and I'm not a Sonata hater, but I mean, Chase picking up some wins now—that's interesting. There's something there. There's something. Where are we going though? Like, where are we headed with Chase? Right. That's th- right. Like, is his ceiling like couple of wins in a G1, or is his ceiling never open weight championship? Right. Like, well, it, it, does the never open weight title even exist in this company anymore? <laughs> It's with Carl Anderson. Who knew? Who, who of your listeners remembered that until I said it out loud just now? Like, I'm sure there's a significant portion that were like, "Wait, who? What? Huh?" They were like, "Take this title and never come back." And just the never title disappear for a little bit. <laughs> well, we have but, the G1, uh, yeah. and come, maybe come back for the G1 finals. <laughs> but Chase is having a great tournament. He, uh, in my book, is pretty much eliminated. But uh, let's move on no, to he actually Great is Ocon. eliminated. Okay, gotcha. And Great Okan is absolutely eliminated. Yes. He's sitting at two points. Uh, he had the, the match with Jay, which had he defeated Jay, that probably would have kept him alive and put him in a, a really great position. Unfortunately, he did take the loss there. But, um, you know, still been impressed with him, and I'm, I'm seeing big things down the, you know, down the pipeline for Great Okan in this company based on, you know, I, I think that this tournament has actually done more for him than, what was last year's first G1? I can't remember. Yeah, last year was his first. Yeah, and I, I've seen a lot more out of him in this G1 already than I did last year. Yeah, and I I feel like he's coming into his own. I kind of thought this was going to be the G1 where he competed, you know, and then fell off maybe late, but he's one sure. in three right now. So that, I mean, that clearly has not been the path, but the matches have been better. He's been more competitive in them also. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, there's there's definitely a lot to tap into with Great Okan. I think they know that he's early in his career. 
Um, and it, the United Empire guys have to, you kind of figure they're going to land, you know, with Will having more points than Cobb and Cobb having more points than Great Okan and Great Okan having more points than Hanari, as you, even though they're all in, in separate blocks. So I do think some of that inter unit, um, you know, balancing act does come into play into here. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that really. But um, yeah, I mean, he's definitely early. And I think back to some of those like early G1s from like 04, 05, when we saw guys like Tanahashi and Nakamura and, you know, um, uh, like Shibata. And you could kind of see how they were booked. And like, I think the company knew in a lot of those situations that those guys were the future, but they had time on, you know, time to go before they like really started to push them. And so you look back at some of the point standings and like when you watch the matches, Shibata's out there in 04, like kicking ass. But then you look at like his ending total and he's not doing so great. And then a year later, those guys are pretty much leading the company. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the next couple of years, that's what we see out of a guy like Ocon here. Um, but yeah, uh, and again, loved the Jay White match. Um, at the bottom of this block, we have Tomohiro Ishii. He's been eliminated. He's sitting at two points. Um, again, he was defeated by Chase Owens on night 13. We had a couple comments by <laughs> a few of the listeners of the show. Hawaiian Punch BB said, if this is Ishii's last G1 appearance, that must mean he is focusing his efforts towards the best Super Junior starting right now. Correct? <laughs> I mean, I'm I am the guy who always says that being a junior is more about your height than it is about your weight. Sure. Uh, and Ishii would fall into that category, but he's also very he's got a lot going on. This is this has been my crusade for years. We need to get him into the junior division. Just cut a couple of kilos, and he'll be fine. <laughs> I feel like it's more than a couple of kilos. <laughs> um, Kevin from DC said, is Ishii the man or what? That is all. And yes. Indeed. Uh, yeah, he's the man. And like, even still at this point, I, I, I don't know this. I haven't done the math, but like, I think it's hard to call a guy who's taken this many losses and who's sitting at the bottom of the block, like the MVP. But like, if you just went off match quality, I think he is the MVP of the tournament. I don't he's think had anyone's a, had as many great matches as him this year already. He's had a great tournament um, when it comes to that, right? If you're a person who watches the G1 or New Japan mostly for in-ring quality and and that style, Ishii has shown up every night. And yeah. that, you know, that's to be honored, right? I mean, and he's, he's got Sonata left on the last night of block. I don't think that match is going to mean anything. Um, and, and you know what's funny about it, too, is like this is considered probably a down year for Ishii in terms of match quality, comparatively speaking to some of his other G1s. Sure. And, and in the best in-ring company in the world, in the most prestigious tournament that they have year over year, he's still outperforming everybody regardless. Like That's how good Ishii is. <laughs> he's the best. And he's the best in these... 16 to 20 minute g1 sprints i mean that is that is I mean, it's built for him i mean and yep. he's, he's a legend in it and i i hope it's not his last g1 i really truly do i really hope that um 
that this is not the the swan song for Ishii, but if it is, he's still giving it his all, and I think that that's honorable in its own way. All right, cool. So um, moving on uh, to the second half of the tournament, things are a little bit murkier when it comes to point standings um, for the second half, but let's get into the C block here. So sitting at the top of the block, we have someone who's doing a, a bit better than I'd kind of projected him to be doing at this point in the tournament, the ace of the universe, Hiroshi Tanahashi. He's sitting at the top of the block, six points. He has two more matches to go. And on night 11, he defeated evil in 19 minutes and one second. And uh, Chris, what were your thoughts on this match? And, you know, where do you see Tanahashi going from here? So the evil stuff doesn't bother me the same way that I think some people have like, focused on and that has basically been a reason that they don't uh enjoy new japan at this point because evil's not a main event guy anymore even though this this was a main event but Mm -hmm. he's not in that space all that frequently he's in that space in tournaments he's in that space when we know we we want him to lose and one of these days he's gonna get another big win this was not that day um so it I, I kind of thought Evil was going to win this match because, as you kind of alluded to, I think Tanahashi's performing in a win-loss perspective much better than anyone expected him to right. um, coming into this tournament. I mean, he's beaten Naito and Zack Sabre Jr. and then got this big win over Evil. And everyone's kind of waiting for Tanahashi to fall off. And what if he doesn't? Right, and so <laughs> he might win the block. <laughs> he could win the block. I mean, it it's not the most outrageous thing considering there's semifinals this year too. But sure. I mean, yeah, Tanahashi could could end up winning the block if he ties with Naito. He wins the block. He's got the tiebreaker. The Lij fans will lose their shit if that happens. <laughs> yes, indeed. But it won't be the first time, and it probably won't be the last time. So I don't know. He's you. How do you rule him out? You can't, sure. right? But he got the win over Evil. It, this yeah. match was good. I mean, I, I like this it, match a lot. It was good. There was uh, a lot more cheating in a big main event style New Japan match than uh, probably to my taste, you know? But then again, it's an Evil match. We're, it just feels like we're, you know, on a loop and just saying the same things over and over and over again. At the same time, what I think they've done at this point is I think we're at the point where evil is working like evil from LIJ mixed in with the cheating tactics of the early stages of his, you know, bullet club healed him before, before house torture even existed. You know what I mean? Or just the early like Genesis of it. So he is putting in more effort and, you know, I only say that to say this, if you were, if you were, an evil fan, and then you kind of fell out of favor with him because of what they were doing, you might want to come back because he's actually wrestling like the old evil again. Now, me, I've never liked evil, so <laughs> it doesn't do much for me, but um, I was surprised, like you mentioned, I thought evil was going to beat Tanahashi here because he already has wins over Zack, he's got a win over Naito, and I, evil's the other big guy in the block, and I'm like, you know, evil's probably going to beat him and kind of, you know, even things up a bit more, but not Tanahashi got the win here. He um, he kind of had a similar 
like roll-up victory in this match the same way that he was able to kind of like beat Zach earlier in the block as well. Right. So that was a little bit surprising there, but um, yeah, there was a lot of cheating in this match for sure. Oh yeah. They didn't hold back, but, <laughs> but Tanahashi seemed to have the answer, which is what you're supposed to do as a, oh. as the ace. It's not his first go around with Bullet Club, you know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> He's had a couple but, of uh, matches like this. A couple of them. But um, that brings us to the next guy in the block, and that is ZSJ, Zack Sabre Jr. He's sitting at six points. He has two more matches to go. Again, he lost his match to Tanahashi, so does not have that tiebreaker there. But on night 12, he won a fantastic victory in a great hard-fought match over Hiroki Goto, 17 minutes and 31 seconds. And I, I can't say for sure, but I think this might be my favorite Zach match in the tournament thus far and my favorite Goto match thus far in the tournament as well. Uh, Yeah, I think that's probably the same for me. Because, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's definitely my favorite Zach match, and I think that Zach's got a couple of really good matches coming up too. Because he's going to... You know, Zach and Evil is a fun... That's a fun match because they... They, they always have good matches. They have good reason. matches. It's like a weird... It's weird. Uh-huh. And then he's got Naito on the last night, which, you know, I still... You can still kind of point to that as being the the block deciding match. And probably. Pr- probably the main event of that show. Yeah. I mean, maybe. There's definitely a possibility that that's the case. I don't see why not. Like, you got the New Japan Cup winner, right? And then you've got Naito, and like that's those that's the biggest star power on that last night, I think. Yeah, I was gonna say from like that standpoint, from like a drawing perspective, sure, but from a kayfabe perspective, it might not be. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, I mean, it's it, hard it to say. Kind of, it is hard to say. It's gonna depend on how a few things shake out with the A and the B block because you've got some guys that have just done better in the tournament than both of them. Yeah, and if it ends up being like White and Okada, that's obviously no. That would be the semis. I'm... They're in different blocks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, I mean, Okada and Archer. But it might be like say Jay and Tamatanga. Jay and Tamatanga. Yeah, that's probably if they're the both other. like if they're both undefeated basically going in. Then and he's the world champion. That might probably be the main yeah. event. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I would I would have said at the beginning of the tournament. I I would have said maybe Osprey and Juice Robinson. But sure. that has not shaken out, that way. Shaken out that way. Yeah, not at all. So, yeah. So but I think. Yeah I, yeah, I think those are the two options. Zach's having a fantastic tournament, and I, I'm in agreement with you. I think that it's going to kind of come down to him and Naito, and the big question is kind of like, what's going to happen with Tanahashi? Because they both need him to lose, like now, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, and Tanahashi's got Goto and Kenta, which are two matches he can definitely lose. And he has before. Yeah, yeah. And and the Kenta, you know, feud kind of re rebirthed here. I think that could mm-hmm. lead to something down the line here. And Goto, I mean, Tanahashi just disposed of him at the in the AEW Eliminator match or whatever they called that. So maybe it's time for Goto to get his uh to get his win back. So wouldn't shock me if Tanahashi ends up three and three with, with the two losses to Kenta and Goto, but um you can't roll them out either, or or to go four and two for that matter, and and still end up, um, kind of in some sort of weird three way tie then, and that would be a whole different kind of scenario that I'm not prepared to look at just yet. 
Yeah, same. We have some questions at the end of this about that, but yeah. Um, as far as this match goes, though, if you guys haven't seen it, Zach, um, him and Goto, they just they had an incredible war back and forth, and at, down the stretch, it really looked like Goto was gonna get the best of Zach, and Zach was able to finagle his way into a, a you know Fujiwara armbar that just kind of came out of nowhere, and like he tapped out Goto, and it was pretty amazing and i mean that's kind of been zach's like mo this year is like having these incredible matches getting put in a lot of trouble and at the very very tail end being able to uh you know eke out uh, a submission he did that to kenta in this tournament he did that you know to uh goto here and he almost did that to tanahashi if tanahashi hadn't had the foresight to to get the roll up so uh, well and and zach is working particular body parts in each of these matches and then he's winning with a submission on that body part so it's like it's this old school really like yeah it's this old school psychology (laughs) of of pro wrestling that like it's it's perfect and you don't really think about it until all of a sudden the match is over and you're like oh he was working the shoulder the whole time yeah now um the next guy moving on we just talked about his match but hiroki goto he's also in the mix he's got four uh points he has two more matches left to go and again he was defeated by zach and goto's a guy that's really been impressive to me in this tournament i mean uh i know i might be imagining things or maybe it's just my imagination but like i don't know this just feels like the most motivated hiroki goto has looked in like five years like he, even the time when he came back from LA and was like, you know, I'm putting the G, the, the G in the G one is for Goto and all that. I just never, I haven't seen him like work singles matches like this since like 2016. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on with him, but like he's reinvigorated. He's just having stellar performances. It's that Chicago crowd that, that hyped him up when he was, <laughs> when he came out of the curtain at forbidden door. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, I there might be something there. I mean that was well, pretty you know, pretty we, energizing. We he was talk- the first New Japan guy out and that he got a <laughs> heck of a pop. We always talk about Doki not wanting to go back to <laughs> you know the dirt floors Tijuana. Like this man went to Chicago and worked in front of crowds. He's like, I'm not going back. <laughs> <laughs> not going back to clap crowds. Yeah, I don't know. Uh something's going on with him. You know, his his son wants him to win the G one and be the AEW champion, so I, I don't that. know. But yeah, he's he's awesome, and um, you know, I would I'm I'm all for like Goto having a resurgence. Like, you know, I think he's a guy that people have written off for a long time, and I would I would love for him to be a guy that just like I don't know came back and just did it. He is a guy that can just pop up, right? And like, it wouldn't be that hard to build up Goto into a guy that is at, at least a block winner in a four block G one. I don't think this is the year or this is the block, but if he's gonna go at this rate and at this level. I mean, he he spent enough time in the tag division that I would like to see something from him in the singles with the singles run. Sure. Well, moving on, we have uh, one of the darlings of the block, the leader of LIJ, Tetsuya Naito. He's sitting at four points. He has two more matches to go. And don't call the comeback. Tetsuya Naito won another match in a string of return wins against Aaron Hanare, 17 minutes and 31 seconds. And yeah, you know, um, Ghetto found a way to book the, uh, you know, lose early and then, you know, come from behind, uh, you know, dramatic storyline. And that's what he's doing with Naito in this tournament, it seems. Everyone seems to think that. Or they could be telling a heartbreak story and <laughs> yeah. he loses at the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
it it does make a lot of sense for Zack and Naito to end up as the um, block deciding match, but I don't know. People have gotten their heart broken over Tetsuya Naito before, so I I, I hate to count on anything. I've never got my heart broken regarding Tetsuya Naito in any level in any way ever in my life. <laughs> but I like him. But, uh, yeah, I thought that the Hanari match was great. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about Hanari, but I think he looked really good in this match. And then, you know, Naito came back in dramatic fashion and got the uh, Destino. And, yeah, we did have a question here. Kevin from D.C. said, Uncle Dave seems dead sure that Naito will come back and win the C block. But if Naito... Um, but if not Naito, who do you see taking C-Block in the end? Speaking of Naito, what did you think of his antics when Kenta autographed his book for him? His legs were shaking like a schoolboy. I mean, if not Naito, who? I think if not Naito, Zack Sabre Jr. or Hiroshi Tanahashi. I think those, sure. are, those are your two, right? Um, as for the antics with the autographed book, Kenta has been hilarious with the book Mm -hmm. and the undercard uh should not be ignored the undercards on all these shows have been really awesome so uh and fun so yeah i'm I'm glad you're on the show to tell people that i have not had the time (laughs) to watch these undercards or to watch post-match comments i'm barely making it through the g1 but uh yeah definitely once uh things slow down a little bit this week i'll probably be watching those undercards on like 2.0 speed you know what i'm saying (laughs) the um I, I, a peek under the hood, I guess. If I don't watch live, I skip right to the tournament matches and I, right. I just watch them. I don't, I don't do anything while I do that. And usually, what I'll then do is I'll go back to the beginning of the show, and as I'm putting together notes for the following night, I'll have mm-hmm. the undercard up in either on one of my other my TV or uh, in the corner of the screen. So I can't say that I'm paying being attentive to the undercard, but I there's enough happening there that i think it's it's been fun and interesting and i have really enjoyed the return of like undercard tags in the g1 it does it feels so much better when those are there yeah i agree and plus they're doing cool stuff on those undercard tags since there's four blocks we're seeing people who are in multi-man tags who are not even in blocks that are adjacent to one another but may potentially face each other at the tail end of the tournament, if things go right for them, you know what I mean? Right. And so th- th- there's some kind of cool, fun, exciting stuff going on there too. Plus the opportunity that they're giving for guys like, you know, um, Royce, uh, Isaacs. Royce Isaacs and bad dude, uh, Tito, you know, bad dude, Tito is like if cactus Jack and Al snow and Dr. Death, Steve Williams, like had a love child, you know what I mean? Everyone's got a different descriptor for this man. I just he's think incredible. He, he's got the look. I mean that. Oh, he's got a great look. That is clear. Um, no, on the undercards, the thing that I see on the undercards is that like these guys who may not necessarily be having a great G one in regards to wins and losses, they're winning all of. I mean, like Hanare, right? For example, every undercard tag he's in, he wins the fall, and you know that's something right it might be something a little bit it's not quite winning in the g1 or winning those singles matches but that's part of the build-up so um that is part of what i've i've been able to see um as i've watched some of those undercards yeah definitely i hadn't noticed that but uh i'll pay a little bit more attention to it for sure 
Um, one last thing I like to say about Naito is like, I kind of feel right now, and maybe it's been this way for a while, but I kind of feel like he's in the Nakamura phase when he like just before Nakamura left the company, where it's like when he's put in a big role and he's called upon and he's needed to have a great performance, he can do it. But even in a G1, even on a night like this, like you're not going to get like these classic performances out of Naito the same way you weren't getting them out of Nakamura in, in like 2015. You know what I mean? And like I haven't personally been overly impressed with Naito so far in the tournament, but I don't want to like speak too much out of turn because even with his bust knees and even with all the mileage on him, I I just know that at the end of the time, like the end of the block when he faces Zach, they're gonna have a classic and then. He's going to go out there with, like, probably Osprey or Shingo or somebody and, like, have another great match. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he's going to turn it on at the end. But when you kind of compare him to some of his, uh, you know, some of the other guys that are contemporaries of his in this block, like, he's just not performing at the same level of those guys. Well, he's probably going to turn it on tonight because we've got Kenta tonight. So it's Kenta, Kenta and Naito. Um, probably about the same time everyone's turning this podcast on if they're downloading it overnight. So, uh, and then you've got a week off, and we've got uh, Naito and Zack Saber Jr. So, hopefully, we've got two really, really good matches coming up. And you know, all things considered, um, the likelihood of Naito running the table seems high. I mean, that's what everyone seems to think he's going to do. Um, he has won three straight, so that this is applicable to the match with Kenta. He's won three straight G1 matches nine times in his career. So Naito, mm. very streaky in his G1s. Yeah. So, um, and that's, I mean, that's a lot. There's there's a couple of tournaments that he did it twice. He won three in a row and then lost and then won three in a row again. Um, mm. So three is kind of his common threshold. Four is... Um, He's only done that a couple of times. So, so that's, wow. you know, that's your stat of the day. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so we'll move on to Evil, who is sitting at four points, two more matches in this tournament. And again, he was defeated by Tanahashi on night 11. On night 13, though, he rebounded and defeated Aaron Hanare 10 minutes and 28 seconds. Kind of gave my discourse on Evil. I mean, I think he's probably on the bubble for being eliminated. I don't see him being in play towards the tail end. Of course, you can never quite count him out, but with losses to guys like Tanahashi and um, he hasn't faced Zach or Naito just yet, has he? he or he lost to Naito, didn't he? He did lose to Naito. Okay, yeah. So those are two. Of the, that's the other one I was thinking of. So he's got some pretty big tiebreakers that he's like already lost. Right. So I find it hard for him to kind of be in play going down the tail end. Yeah, he's got Goto and Zack Sabre Jr. left. So Zack Sabre Jr. on the, where's that, the 10th, so Wednesday. And then mm-hmm. Goto on the 16th. So, yeah, the Zack match is a big one. And mm-hmm. like you said, um, those guys, they've got chemistry. They have good matches. But putting that all aside, match quality out, you know, out the window, if he beats Zack, like, it's a totally different ballpark. Maybe maybe I'm uh, jumping the gun a little bit too much on Evil at that point, you know? Yeah, if he beats Zach, um, his match with Goto has a lot of meaning on the last night. And Naito, I don't know. That, that would be a really surprising result. But also, <laughs> I've been surprised by Evil results in the past. So. Hey, you, you just never know. They cheat, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> mm-hmm. And Zach, Zach is crafty, but I don't know. Tough to say. And he's lost the evil in the past as well. Right. So, right. Um, we have Aaron Hanare, two points. He's been eliminated. He was defeated by Naito on night 11, and then evil defeated him on night 13. And, um, you know, the big thing here, Chris Charlton kind of put this over on commentary is like, Aaron Hanari was never a guy that was really in play to win the block or the tournament, but his real quest was to prove that he did belong in this tournament. And from a performance standpoint, I couldn't agree more with that statement. I think he's definitely proved from an in-ring standpoint that he absolutely belongs in this field and that he can hang with the best guys in this, uh, you know, in this company. And he's done that night after night. Oh yeah, he can go. And he, he's putting up a good fight. And like I said, in all those undercards, he's getting all those wins. I mean, like every single one of them, he's getting the fall. So um, this is part of him growing. This is part of his growth. And I think that I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, what the next G1 looks for Hinari. And, and then the next one after that, right? Like if he's one step or one G1 behind Great Okan, I don't know that Hinari has the upside of Great Okan, but he can certainly be in the you know in the middle of the block he can play spoiler he might have one good g1 where he has a good run like he's a guy that deserves his spot and i think like i said once you get invited into the g1 as long as you show up and and you perform well like you're probably going to get that invite back again so i can only assume we'll see him again next year so we got a question here from rain z wrestling that said, what's Aaron Hanari's gym routine? Now, when I saw this question, I said to myself, didn't the same guy ask this question last week? And so I hit up this uh, <laughs> I hit up this uh, person, and I, I was fully expecting, just based on the question being repeated, like, we're dealing with the bot here. But then again, I thought, but it's about Aaron Hanari. That's very specific. Like, why? how is that going to benefit any sort of, like, whatever a bot does? You know what I mean? Turns out it was a real person, and they're like, I just was – wanting to be persistent. I just want to figure out what this guy's doing. You know, he's such a beast. And I was like, all right, well, uh, I'll hit up Aaron Hanari and see what he's doing. And as of the time that we started this recording, he had not responded. So I was like, I'm not going to have an answer for you. At just a couple minutes ago, Aaron Hanari <laughs> sent me... <laughs> he sent me one of the most detailed workout plans I've ever seen. In my- <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Um, we're not doing like um, I, I I don't know if you oh, can see the Sam. That's like, pretty long. Can you see this? I see a lot of words. Okay, so it's it's a nine week program through Steve Pipe Fitness. Um, the best breakdown I can give you is that he does four days of strength training and three days of fight training. So seven days a week, he's pretty much alternating between different strength and uh, mobility exercises and then he's alternating with the actual fight training but uh yeah this this stuff is kind of above my head like i didn't go to school for fitness i don't know what i'm even looking at but yeah it looks like it's a nine week cycle and then there's a deload compression period and then he goes back into whatever this is man a nine week cycle (laughs) yeah bro. wow (laughs) holy cow that's dedication I'll send you the link for this. Like Please. he sent it to me. <laughs> but uh, if you guys want to look into it, Steve Steve Pipe Fitness, <laughs> dude, that rules. I can't believe he sent it to me. <laughs> <laughs> you asked. He's in service of the fans. 
I mean, oh, he was man. on Jcast just the other yeah. day. So this is just really funny. Um, you don't see Damon asking what his workout routine is. But he, they talked about it. Yeah, I know. That's what I referred the guy. I was like, hey, why don't you go listen to Jcast? <laughs> they talked about it. And he asked the same question two He's weeks like, nah, keeping it strong style for life. He's like, fuck Jcast. <laughs> I don't like Damon. <laughs> also, by the way, now that we're on the subject, I listened to your guys' episode and I, I felt bad. I was like, man, Damon has asked a lot more questions about Chris than I have ever asked on this show. Like, knows more about our knows more about our coast than we do. Dude, I did not expect that <laughs> format. And we just started talking and I was like, is this it? Like this is what we're doing? We're not we're gonna are we gonna talk about the G one? It's coming up, but you yeah, know, I was peeling back the curtain. I hit up Damon and I was like, you know, I know we all think our show is the best, obviously, but like I will admit, I think Damon's much better at interviewing people than we are. And the funny thing is, he he doesn't want to interview anybody. Like he's he he's always like, we're not an interview show. I don't like doing interviews. But I'm like, but you're fantastic. He's so it. good at it, and like you're so good at it. As the interviewee, it was so he's so disarming that all of a sudden I was like, yeah, I'll tell you my life story, no problem. <laughs> Like, I was like, and I was like, I look back on that, and I was like, I had a really good time, and Damon's awesome. Like, and we, yeah. you know, we we had finally seen each other in person recently, and and that added to the comfort of that show. But yeah, I was like, how did we get here? Like in the middle of the show, I was like, what? Are we, but is it this? wasn't just your show. Like I listened no, to I know. Karen, yeah, and she's been on our show, and he's he's learning details that I don't even know about. And I was like, we hang out with Karen. I don't even know this stuff. Yeah. Like, I know more about being a flight attendant than I ever yeah. honestly cared to know, but it was fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So that was funny. Um, let's move on to the bottom of this block. So we've got Kenta. He's sitting at two points. He has three more matches. I'm not ready to call him eliminated just yet because he still has three matches to go. But uh, he didn't have any matches this week, so he's kind of been, you know, iced out a little bit. But Pretty big matches coming up. He's still got Tanahashi. He's still got uh, Naito. So some pretty big ones, you know, coming up on the horizon here. Yeah, he's got Tanahashi. He's got Naito, and he's got Hinari. So he he is Hinari's last match. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kenta can still make a mark on this tournament. I think the most likely place for him to make that mark is by you know taking Tanahashi out and kind of re-energizing that battle um especially after you know kenta was out for quite a while after the match with tanahashi so no shame in in kind of re re re-upping that uh that feud so i don't think kenta's gonna end up being a factor though he could still go four and two um Mm. and that would definitely put him in the mix but um i do think the match with tanahashi is the one to watch and that is on the 14th I do too. And just because of all the build towards it, it's been feeling like they're really leading to some sort of like blow off in this tournament and maybe even beyond the tournament as well, possibly. But like, like you mentioned, like a feud renewed, but it's all fueled by what happened back in January, you know, from these guys. So, um, yeah, it's so crazy when you think back at like when these two guys were leading their respective companies. If you would have told me like a decade later, they'd be like feuding in the G one. It's just so wild. After having a what no holds barred 
ladder like yeah super hardcore match <laughs> at wrestle kingdom like yeah tanahashi and kenta you're looking 10 years ago you're like yeah they're definitely gonna have a hardcore match <laughs> well that's gonna do it for the c block let's move on to the d block which i think is the most tumultuous of all the blocks i saw you uh you know kind of telling people look out for the seven-way tie that's a real thing on twitter it's a real and thing i think that it is happen. a real thing yeah Sitting at the top of the block, we got. <laughs> it's just I, don't so even, crazy. I don't even know. I don't even know, but I don't, I, I, I have my either. eyes out for it. Um, David Finley, six win or six points. He's got two more matches to go. He had no matches over these past three nights. Um, we did have a question. Kevin from DC said, "What do you guys think about David Finley's performances since beginning the G One? Does he deserve a run with the US belt, or is he destined to go back to where he was before the tournament started?" Furthermore, are you glad that Will Ospreys finally had you know has the U.S. title to carry around, or do you not care about that much either way? The physical belt thing and with the U.S. title was really it. It didn't ever feel like it was going anywhere, so mm-hmm. it was just this kind of weird conduit to like Juice Robinson, David Finley, and Will Osprey interacting at the be- kind of the front half of this tournament. Sure. Which is fine. But again, I, I never felt like it was leading to anything. And I guess it kind of was because it ended up leading to David Finley beating Will Ospreay, throwing the belt at him basically and being like, next time you defend this, this is mine, right? Finley, right. If, we, if we had recorded this five days ago, he was the story of the G1. Right. Like he was the he was you know how kind of how we talked about Jonah earlier in the night, right? And that was Finley's that was his moment. And you know, I, I he's got Yoshihashi and El Fantasmo left. So like he could absolutely still be in the mix towards the end of this block, but I think it it was a really good way to get Finley involved in the US title scene and make it believable out of kind of out of nowhere right like he hasn't had a big build-up as a singles wrestler and this was his moment right he had a he had a good run in a new japan cup and made it to the semis and a couple of upsets but this g1 you know beating shingo uh juice robinson and then will osprey like that's a pretty solid you know starting point as a, a featured singles guy so um am i glad the belt is finally back with will osprey yeah because like i said i didn't feel like it was going anywhere but um and i do think this is where we're headed i think we're headed to finley challenging for the u.s title somehow some way well you know initially i did think it was leading somewhere i thought juice was going to do extremely well in the tournament and so was osprey and even if they weren't both in play down the the stretch there'd be this whole feud over the belt and it would kind of be settled there and then maybe even continued on from there but then once they threw the david finley thing in it kind of got wonky for me the one positive about it i will say is that like how you kind of just mentioned once he once david finley beat osprey and he had that physical you know um possession of the belt and he was able to lay claim to a challenge that kind of put him ahead of the pack in terms of challengers over, like, let's say, you know, Osprey just lost to Shingo. What could hypothetically stop Shingo from, like, potentially being the guy that challenges? Well, it's the fact that there was this whole dispute over the belt and, you know, Dave Finley already laid down the gauntlet. So if that's a means to an end, I think there is some positivity there. I'm a guy that's a little different, you know. 
I think for a lot of fans, they've been trained over the years that, like, especially in pro wrestling, they see the title and the belt itself as being inter like interchangeable. They they even call the belt a title belt. You know what I mean? And so they don't. There's no differentiation between those two things. But me being like either an old school fan or even just following combat sports. I just think about it from like a logical standpoint. What if someone stole Anderson Silva's belt? Does that not make him the middleweight champion? Like they would just make him another belt. Wouldn't really matter because no one would care. (laughs) Like in the real world, because the belt is a trophy. The belt is not the title. The title is bestowed on you by recognition as being the best guy for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, a weight class or, you know, a hardcore champion or intercontinental champion, you're the champion. And the belt is just an outward representation of what you have. If they steal, it doesn't matter. But I think for a lot of fans, that's too much to think about. And they're just like, the belt's the title. And he, he took his, he took his well, belt. There's he a reason, belt. There's a reason the belt exists. <laughs> and that, <clears throat> oh, okay. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to leave this in. Why does the belt exist, Chris? Tell us about it. <laughs> the belt exists to show that someone's a champion. Right. Right? So if someone else is running around with the belt and the guy that's supposed to be the champion's not running around with the belt, um, that can be that can turn people as as the guys at Voices of Wrestling like to say, that'll turn people into corn cobs and they have no idea what they're seeing. Right. So, well, I liked the story better when it was like Juice had an actual claim. He never actually lost the title. You know what I mean? And so, like, that just logically made more sense. But for whatever reason, they did not go that way. Well, so, yeah, and we still have Juice versus Osprey on the last night the of the block. So it's very confusing that they didn't go that way. Correct. It's the final night. It's the final night. And listen, Juice Robinson loves nothing more than setting up a U.S. title match on his last night of, of a block of a G1. <laughs> I, he's done oh, that more man. than once already, hasn't he? I know he did it with Moxley in, in 19. Yeah. No, he definitely did. Yeah. I can't think of other times. Well, there was that one year where he was the champion. Yeah, that and, was it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he just lost and lost and lost. And then on the final night, Cody, who wasn't even in the tournament, challenged him for the title. And right. it was like, what? Why? <laughs> yeah, Juice, he just like lives around the U.S. title around the G1 time. It's It's kind of an odd like slot for him well you know and it's weird that we're having this kind of discourse about juice just in general because it felt like with the rebranding and reintroduction that we were going to be seeing him as like a a main player right you know an upper mid card guy but so far it hasn't kind of it kind of hasn't panned out that way but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna throw in the towel on it just yet because it's it hasn't fully played out Right, the Osprey match is going to be really important for him, and also like the character work's been excellent from Juice. Yeah, like he this the re you know the recharacterization of Juice Robinson as rock hard Juice Robinson has really landed, and he's looked mm-hmm. really good with it. So now, we'll talk about him as we go down the line here. Well, um, I think that's going to do it for Dave Finley. So next up, we have Shingo Takagi sitting at four points. Two more matches to go on night twelve. In the main event, Shingo Takagi defeated Will Ospreay, 21 minutes, 55 seconds. Going into the match, Will Ospreay had a 3-1 edge record over Shingo Takagi. However, as they pointed out on commentary, I'm sure due to maybe possibly your work, Chris, um, 
Shingo or Will had never beat Shingo in any match in under 30 minutes. As we all know, the G1 has a 30 minute time limit and Shingo holds his one victory over Will Ospreay in a previous G1. So this kind of ties them, not ties them up, but, you know, brings the edge a little bit closer. He's now two and three against Will Ospreay all time. All of his wins against Will Ospreay are G1 matches. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of an interesting and fun way to look at it because they also worked this match like like they needed more. They're going to need more time. They 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 came out hot and they worked it like a G one match and not like a main event for a title that would be a sixty minute time limit. So, I mean, the. Um, IWGP World Heavyweight match that they've had was is Will Ospreay's longest match on record. It's 44 minutes. Um, and that's like the second longest Shingo match on record, and it's the, the longest that went to a finish. So these guys... That's his longest on record match period or singles match? Singles match. I, I think I've seen a tag match against uh, Aussie Open, a TLC match that was longer than that. That's possible. I, I only have singles match records that I'm looking at right now because it's the new one. So, gotcha. Yeah, Shingo's longest singles match except for a draw with BB Hulk at some point in uh, when he was with Dragon Gate. So, um, so that is, you know, that's a part of the story is that Shingo wins these G1 matches because they both wrestle like they need to end a lot faster than they normally do, right? So Yeah. Um, so I wasn't surprised to see Shingo take the win here, and and it does set up a little bit more of an inter- a more interesting run for Osprey going forward. Makes things a little more um, uneasy for him as he heads into his matches with Yoshihashi and then Juice Robinson. Absolutely. Well, undoubtedly, the the match quality was just off the scales. I mean, this was really, really top tier wrestling. And, you know, that's to be expected. when you, Whenever you put Shingo and Will Ospreay in a match together, they're just going to perform at the highest levels that the sport has to offer. Um, but like you mentioned, this was worked differently than some of their title matches or even um, the best Super Junior final that we saw in the past. And it kind of reminds me of the one time we saw Okada and Ospreay in the G1 together and how they worked that match extremely different than all the other matches in their four match series. And it it was necessitated because of the time constraints and everything. And also, you know, just everything that goes into a G one and, you know, everything like that. So, um, hot take, even though I thought this match was great, even though I thought this match was the best match of the tournament so far, in my opinion, I would say, and actually, maybe I should answer this after I ask this question, because we had a question uh, regarding what I'm going to say next. Morbid Suplex asked, how would you rank Day 12's Shingo Osprey match compared to all their other matches with each other? And I got to tell you, even though I thought this match was incredible, like I mentioned, and probably the match of the tournament so far, in my opinion, I think this is the lowest ranked match that I've seen of the two guys of the whole series. And that just tells you how, how great I think that their matches are because I don't know, I'm not quite four and a half on this. I'm not quite four and three quarters. Like if I could, I would give it like four and two thirds. You can give whatever you want. I guess I could. Cause it's all imaginary, right? It's all, it's 
it's all fake fake stars so um stars are real bro okay <laughs> i mean yes it's a real shape that exists um I I I will never get past how great their best of the Super Junior final was. Mm. Like I that is just that was just world class and uh, a really important match for like me and my like fandom and my involvement with New Japan too. Um mm. so like I just don't think I'm ever going to get past that. So otherwise, I mean, these guys they they have great chemistry. I I I don't do the star thing. I don't remember like really particular specifics about what was perfect about this match that wasn't perfect about the other. Like I just know that these guys, if you put them in the ring together, it's going to be awesome. And um, this was no different. I think to some extent though, I mean, we've seen it. This is the fifth time that they've done it in three years or so. And that that's, right. I, I don't want to say that's a lot, but it is kind of a lot. Um, it's not enough. They could keep doing it and people would love it. And, and as would I, but I don't know that they did anything groundbreaking with this one. And, and usually when these right. guys get in the ring, they do something that you're like, Oh, that like, that's new. What they started doing that was groundbreaking was they both were teasing on a top, like on a very plausible level that they might hypothetically try to go for both of their finishers off of the top rope on each other and neither of them got it but i was scared that they were going to try to do it and they're both crazy enough to where one day i think they might they're going to do that they're going to do it and i don't i don't know what a what a stormbreaker off of the top rope or a last the dragon off the top rope really looks like you know what i mean last the dragon makes more sense because you're it like does. you're faced out like i could see that happening i'm I'm even kind of okay with them doing it from the second rope because it's like oh that's a super version but bro they were on the top rope i'm like i don't know man but um yeah they both stole each other's like um shingo like kept trying to go for stormbreaker he didn't get it will osprey gave him uh uh, a uh made in japan he hit which was he hit it yeah it was awesome yeah shingo's uh, face was awesome yeah when when will's holding him up and if you guys want to break down the matches, that's where Jeremy shines. You put the the wrong two guys together for that stuff because I'm the, here's here's the the way it works for me and Jeremy. Jeremy tells you what happens in the match, and then I just be like, oh yeah, remember this cool thing happened. I'm the color guy. I just add a little bit of flavor to to everything. So me and Chris are not the guys. To- <laughs> yeah, I'm. A, I mean, I'm literally a professional analyst of this stuff. So I'm I'm here to analyze and and see where we're going and not talk about. Uh, really particulars of, of match structure, but right. I know that these well, guys know how to do match structure. Well, even if I were to break down this match, it would be nearly impossible because they were wrestling at a breakneck pace <laughs> at a rate literally... that only they can, that they can get to. Right. And there were so many, the one thing that they did that was incredible was just reversal after reversal, after reversal, after reversal. Like they had worked out these, Long, oh, actually, I don't even want to call it worked out because I don't even know how they're actually doing it. And I myself have trained a bit in wrestling and learned a thing or two about match layout. And I don't know how they're laying out their matches. I can't figure it out. Like I, I'm like, are they calling on the fly? Are they like, what are they doing? Is this all by field? But like, it's just like, 
I'm going to like, they're just not hitting anything for long stretches. And then finally someone hits something. And it's like, Oh my God. And then like down the tail end, Shingo was murdering Will Ospreay with all these crazy lariats. Um, the one thing that caused Will Ospreay to lose this match from a storyline standpoint though, was he went for a hidden blade and Shingo had it scouted and he brought it into a cross. He caught him into a cross arm breaker position and then instead of staying in that position, he actually wrenched as hard as he could back on it to completely disable the arm. And from that point, Will Ospreay was very, like, immobile with that arm. He tried to go for um, Stormbreaker several times. He couldn't actually get get him up for it. And then he really had trouble even utilizing that arm for striking. And, you know, that was to basically take away the hidden blade altogether. And that was the undoing. Once he was without that wheel... He was pretty much uh, a sitting duck, and like he got brutalized by Shingo for the rest of the match. And down the tail end, like Shingo just like killed him with a bunch of lariats and elbows, and then put him up and bam, dropped him on his head, blasted the dragon, and like got him out of there. Like this match was incredible. Yeah, as always with these guys, and and you know I hate to downplay it by saying like. Yeah, they've wrestled five times in the last like three years because like it it is it's always awesome, but it's you know the the highs get less high every time they go back out there because there there hasn't been huge space between these guys uh, right. wrestling. So if they take two years away from each other and they get back in the ring with some high stakes or a big G one match, shoot, it could be night one of G one twenty thirty. Four, right skip a year and, and come back to it and you're gonna get a hell of a match again so um the way i see it though is like there's just some classic combinations of guys in certain time periods of wrestling where it's like they could wrestle a million times and maybe you can't differentiate too much between the matches unless it's like, look, there's a big stage but you don't care you know they're I all think great. like i think of ray and dean malenko you know how many times i saw ray, ray <laughs> mysterio dean malenko wrestle on pay-per-view and on nitros and and thunder and all that like i don't even know how many times but i love them every single time and like i want this match more like just give me this match like pump it into my freaking veins <laughs> i mean you gotta figure they 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 should do this match in the tokyo dome at some point right oh my god they have to right like we gotta get there i don't maybe it's for the u.s title this year i don't care yeah that's Let's fine just do it <laughs> third from the top <laughs> Give him, give him 32 minutes so then Will's got a chance to win because he's crossing the 30-minute threshold. Well, speaking of Will, he's next up on the list. Four points, two more matches to go. He's tied with quite a few people on this list. And, uh, you know, like we mentioned, he just lost to Shingo. So that's his second loss of the tournament. Um, the one previous to that was against Dave Finley. And, you know, I, I think for a guy that's considered – you know, a top, a top tier guy in the company and like, you know, a match of the year or a wrestler of the year candidate and blah, 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 everything like that. It's kind of surprising that he's not leading the block the same way that like Jay White and Okada were leading their blocks, you know? Do you think that has anything to do with him having the U.S. title? Oh yeah. I definitely think that's a huge part of it. I also think that, um, this block is just like when we first did our preview, we talked about how many, like how this was the hardest block to sort of even predict just because Shingo was in it and 
Juice Robinson was in it and, you know, even ELP. And we're like, there's just a lot of names. And this seemed like it was going to be a parody based uh, block anyways. And then you add the fact that he has the U.S. title. And I mean, that's a perfect recipe for him to be, you know, equal to the rest of the guys in the block where, you know, if this if he'd been put in, say, C block, I don't know if this would be the same situation. Right. Yeah, I mean, and so he still has Yoshihashi and Juice Robinson left, so he's primed to come out four and two. But that doesn't mean a lot in this block right now. Like that doesn't that doesn't separate you from literally anybody. So the D block's going to come down to a lot of tiebreakers, I think. Well, yeah, because I mean. Even if hypothetically, you know, Shingo and Will or whoever, I don't know, certain people like you mentioned, if even if many of them go four and two, they're gonna have to hope that the right people don't go four and two. And it's just gonna be a perfect storm where it's like, how is this gonna all shake out? Like either they're all gonna be tied and there's gonna be a tiebreaker, or they're gonna have to have some sort of playoff of some sort. And this is something that we discussed on the preview. Many weeks back when you were on the show, we said this is going to probably happen. So the big question, Chris, is kind of um, what we've alluded to is, you know, we keep bringing up these tiebreaker scenarios. Well, what happens if, you know, three or four or five or six or even seven guys in a block end up tied? Like what is going to actually play out? I mean, we've seen several different things happen through the history of, Grand Prix tournaments in New Japan, but I'm not sure what they actually have set up to, you know, basically work that out. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I there <laughs> there well, there's there's a lot of options here when you talk about like multi-person ties, right? Or just ties in general. I mean, I think we all just kind of assume that we're gonna see the, um. You know, whoever beat whoever, that's the tiebreaker, right? The traditional classic tiebreaker. And I think that that's true. And I think that that's going to be the case. But I, in in the event of like the multi, multi, multi person tie, we do have this night of the semifinals that something could land early in the card to break that tie. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, if you've just got the, the two semifinals and you're not sure what's, you know, gonna lead like let's say it's D block because that seems the most likely. You could hypothetically, if needed, fill in one, two, or multiple matches with you know tiebreakers if if necessary. Right. So, and I don't know if that's the direction they would go, or I mean, if that's the direction they would go in the event of a three-way tie, right? Because we all have this. Um, if if a couple of people tie, we make like a mini block, and whoever's got the best record amongst that mini block is the the winner of the block. Is that out the window because we have this extra night and we could do I don't know a three way match or something? Um, well, well, like in recent times, they've done the very convoluted. Well, if two guys end up tied, and you know, or like three people, and there's no tiebreaker, then they do like. The, the exhaustive mathematical like equation they like look at their common opponents yeah you know it's some sort of, you've you've actually worked it out for us before and it's kind of confusing but like i've seen in the past with new japan where like they've actually had like 
like mini round robin tournaments right. when necessary in some of those early iterations of the tournament. We've also seen like playoff matches that have played out in the earlier parts of nights as well. And I mean, who knows? What if they end up with a bunch of people that they just can't figure out? Maybe they have an over the top battle royal <laughs> early on the card, or maybe yeah. they end up having, you know, maybe they do like a four way elimination match. Like, I don't know what's actually going to be decided on at that point. But it seems more and more likely like this might be a real thing for the D block. Yeah, if it's going to happen, I think the D block is is the block where where it's going to land because they're so compact right now. Um, and I think there's going to end up being some separation, but I do think there's going to be a bunch of guys in in the mix. Wow. Well, let's move on. Um, next up, we got Yujiro Takahashi sitting at four points, two uh, more matches to go. On night 11, in one of the biggest surprises of the tournament, Yujiro Takahashi defeated Juice Robinson in 11 minutes and 36 seconds. Something weird's going on with Juice. <laughs> like, I can't pinpoint it, but it doesn't feel right. It feels like they, like, made him a lot of promises and told this guy, like, you're going to be a big star, we're bringing you in, and then, like, they got him signed and, like, Fuck yeah. We're putting you back where you were. I, he's not even back where he was, really. He's just eating L's. Well, I mean, before he was in the tag team, that's where he was. Yeah, he was I eating guess. L's. And it's weird. It, it's really weird, man. I don't know what's going on. Like, par- part of me is wondering, like, are they going to do, like, a tie situation and then he ends up just still miraculously miraculously like emerging from the like rubble as the the last survivor just by you know who knows i don't know that seems like a stretch but i suppose it's a possibility but like the last thing i expected was like yujiro to be him um i was talking to jeremy about this jeremy's like dude he got eliminated and i was like no he's not eliminated he's like no i think that's it for him and i'm like no but like yeah even jeremy was like bro i'm i I, like i think they got him out of there (laughs) I think they usually Jiro to do it. Yeah. But um, that's pretty surprising. Uh, yeah. I don't know what's going on with Juice. There's a lot of discussion in a couple of different circles that I'm in, and nobody can figure out why or what is going on with Juice Robinson. Yeah. Um, aside from that, um, I don't have much more to say. I mean, it's Ujiro. Uh, I, I, I just can't fathom that he's going to play any major role the one thing i will say is like anytime i'm talking about individuals that i'm like maybe they shouldn't be here it's always ujiro uh he's the guy yeah awesome so next up on the block here we've got a guy that um i used to talk that way about but i'm not going to ever again and that's yoshihashi he's sitting at four points and uh he's got three more matches left to go Night 12, he defeated ELP El Fantasmo, 15 minutes and 47 seconds in an awesome match. And one of the more surprising uh, finishes of the tournament in that Yoshiashi beat ELP. I was not expecting that whatsoever. Yeah, I didn't know where this was going to go, honestly. like Because uh, ELP is obviously new to the tournament, and Yoshihashi's had uh, like a good run in the 
performance wise in the G1 past couple of years. So it was tough to tell who was going to come out on top here. And um, I think this match was really good. I think Yoshihashi has been great. I think El Phantasma has been a nice addition to the tournament. And I, you know, I think that both of them have a spot here. And I think that that's more than some might have said kind of on the, on the way in. So Yoshihashi still has David Finley, uh, Will Ospreay and Yujiro coming up. So he doesn't have the easiest path forward, but, um, you know, he's, he's still in the mix and that's more than he could say about a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I mean, this is a match where I think a lot of people probably figured ELP would pick up, a needed victory and sort of get himself in the mix here. And yeah, they kind of forwent that and had Yoshihashi pick up the win here, which was kind of surprising, but um, you know, he's still got a little bit more tournament ahead of him than the rest of the guys in this block, three more matches to go. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out for him down the stretch. But for my money, he's like one of the top performers in D block, which is not something I saw coming whatsoever. Yeah, people are really enjoying uh, the Yoshihashi run uh, again. So it seems to be a trend, actually. Yeah. And then uh, next up, we've had a lot of discussion on him. I don't know how much more we are going to have here, but Juice Robinson, he's got four points. And am I correct in this? He's got just one more match left to go? Yep, he's just got the match against Osprey left to go. Okay. So, I mean, depending on how things shake out over the next week, he's either just going to be playing spoiler on that final night and be eliminated by the time that match comes up, or he'll be in play to potentially, depending on how things shake out, you know, tie himself up with some other individuals and, you know, potentially be in the mix down that final stretch. I don't know. Yeah, I think what is going to happen with Juice here is that he's going to end up he's going to he's going to make something out of this US title thing on on the last night. And I don't know if that means he's going to spoil Will or he's going to end up out of the kind of US title mix by losing to Will, um which I actually think is probably the more likely scenario is that like Will's just going to you know set him to the side at least for now and and then I think the the US title feud's going to end up being David Finley. So um yeah, Juice, disappointing tournament from the win-loss perspective, but, you know, from character work, he's he's definitely gotten himself some attention, and um, he's been fun to watch and, and great in the undercards. So, um, curious to I see mean, where this goes. That's true. My my one issue, though, is with Juice, he, was, he seemed to be poised to be elevated from a star, you know, level, essentially. And if he comes into the tournament and he just has good matches and charismatic performances, but ultimately loses most of the matches in the tournament and then loses the defining, um, you know, final match of the tournament. He's no better or worse than he was before he resigned with the company. In fact, some people might say that's demotion, which is not what it looked like it was going to be for him back in Chicago when he first kind of went into that four way with all those other big stars. Sure. Yeah. It it is baffling the the juice booking and the juice direction. Um, not really sure what to make of it. Right. Well, like we mentioned, night eleven he was defeated by Ujiro, and then night thirteen he defeated El Fantasmo, who's the last guy we got to talk about here on the the block. And it was uh, another classic bull club versus bull club match. Um, 
but he lost by disqualification, or he Juice Robinson won by DQ, 16 minutes and nine seconds. And this was a match that, um, you know, I think there was a lot of, it was pretty divisive. The early part of the match was extremely comedy, very almost kind of slapstick. They were working in slow motion, pretending to wrestle. And then somewhere in the middle, things got heated. People started rolling each other up. And then it turned into like almost a bloodbath. Like there was chairs and, you know, a table and Juice's head went through the table and he was busted open. I don't know, hardware. That was cool, actually. Yeah. (laughs) And it started getting really great in the second half. And then, but then out of nowhere, it got so heated that ELP threw a chair into Juice's face in the ring in front of the referee. And then they just called it off. And so, like, it, it was a deflating finish to something that, for me, I thought started pretty terribly. I, I did not like what they were doing in the first half of the match whatsoever. There's some people that loved the comedy and they were all about it. For me, it's most of what I hate about pro wrestling. Like, that stuff I'm not into whatsoever. But when they got going, it was great. And then it had a terrible finish. Like, I I actually think that this match might be a potential for worst match of the tournament in my book, honestly. I mean, I I kind of attributed it to just being Bullet Club doing bullet sure. club things right and then you know what i think about those is that when when bullet club starts to do those things and um you know that the two wrestlers can wrestle like that they're good wrestlers then it's more frustrating and like you want right. you want more right so um i think that that is why I was most frustrated with that match because I wanted to see Juice and ELP have a have a match, and eventually we kind of did, um, even though you know it took a long way to get there. Yeah, absolutely, and that I think that's part of what it was for me it was just the frustration of like these are two of the best guys in the block. I want them to like actually wrestle. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, but yeah, and I I don't know. I'm I'm also questioning. I mean. They haven't done many DQ finishes in the tournament, granted, but there's been a lot of count-out finishes mm-hmm. and just kind of tomfoolery. It's something I just I didn't personally need. And um, since we're on the subject, El Fantasmo, he's sitting at two points. He's got two more matches to go. The best he can hope for is six points. That would get him tied to where Finley is. He's going to need a few things to work out in his favor to get maybe even potentially in that you know tied slash tiebreaker scenario, but. I am surprised to see Juice and ELP somewhat towards the bottom of the standings, essentially. I'm more surprised to see Juice down there, because ELP, I think, you know, is technically still seen as a junior. A junior. And he's, a yeah. big, he's a big junior, but he's still junior. Um, that so, so with that, typically you don't come out of the block hot right so juice down there that's yeah absolutely that's super surprising but elp he's about where i expected him to be on a win-loss perspective and then you know if you look at the competitiveness um he hasn't really had i mean he had the good match with osprey but he hasn't had another match that's really like stand out so um i'm waiting for that i don't think um so he's got Finley and Shingo left. So he could have a couple of really good matches. 
Yeah, and I, I think the Shingo match is probably the one most people have circled at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, ELP, his tournament was always going to be about how it started and how it ended. So he had Will at the on the first night and Shingo on the last. Yeah, and I mean, I guess none of us can be too too surprised about how things have gone, just given the history of juniors in the G1 Climax in general. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are hoping that this might be the start of a more permanent situation for him. And maybe this is an indication, hypothetically, depending on how things shake out, that they might still send him back to junior for the time being until they're ready to, like, full full-fledged like call them up to the heavyweights you know yeah i it, it they did that with osprey even but i think that was more yep. by necessity um that mm-hmm. they needed someone in the junior division um after hiromu was out so uh tough to say al phantasm yeah. was a big guy like yeah. he, he's a, it's a hard sell with to see him as a junior <laughs> to be honest <laughs> so which is i part of me feels like that's why he hasn't had a big run at the top of the junior division because he isn't necessarily that. <laughs> sure. Kevin from DC asked us, he said, do you see El Fantasma working towards a babyface turn and a split from Bullet Club after his DQ against Juice? It doesn't seem like such a move will happen anytime soon, but it could be in the works regardless. So not, you know, kind of on the subject, we're talking about his status as a junior versus a heavyweight. There's also kind of some speculation from folks. I think a lot of people kind of do see that there's potential for him as a, as a baby face out there. Is that a way that you see them possibly going, Chris, or you think that they might keep him in this role for the time being? Yeah, I don't think anything's imminent, but I did have that thought that there's not really a slot for him in Bullet Club anymore. Right. Right. So, like, he's not necessarily going to be the junior tag guy with Ishimori. He's probably never going to be the top junior um, with Ishimori there, as well as, you know, someone like um, Ace Austin coming into the into the fold right so he's another option so he's he is kind of the odd man out so and and you know he's he's one of those guys that could certainly wrestle a more baby face style um Mm -hmm. and do so really well and probably get the fans behind him so i think there's a there's a chance that this is you know the long play of a of a turn nice well, that is going to do it for our coverage of the blocks. We do have some questions here regarding um, G1. We're going to cover those. Just um, full transparency, guys, with Jeremy out. We've done the best we can. When, by the time you guys are listening, this is going to be a seamless podcast. But we have had a lot of technical issues tonight. So, like, a lot of the subjects we normally cover, like previewing the next week and all the news and, you know, New Japan of America – probably going to nix most of that some of the questions we're going to push that stuff to next week and so we're going to cover these questions do recommend an excursion match of the week and then get you guys on your way and we'll you know when jeremy comes back we'll uh, try to cover the rest of that we are also pushing up against you know two and a half three hours already so oh gotcha nice so let's uh let's get this stuff done here so um cap m f 89 said what's your opinion on four times seven man blocks we kind of talked about that at the top i kind of jumped the gun there i don't mind four blocks but i'm not sure about this seven man and everyone kind of needing like a buy cycle um 
that's a kind of a funny word smash. Not bicycle. They need a cycle on a buy. Um, that's the part of it that I don't love. And I think if you went up, right, and it's going to sound crazy, to 32, and you do 4 and 8, and then you can have block segregated cards too because then you'd have four matches per each block per each round or card and we're already seeing four block match cards throughout this g1 and i think it would be nice if that's all contained into one block um so if it's me if we're if we're gonna if we're not going back to 20 man, you know, a 20 man tournament with two 10 person blocks. I would like to see it go up to 32 and then you can do, um, you know, an A block night and then a B block night and then a C block night and then a D block night. And you do end up giving guys a little bit more rest. Um, but in a way that's more familiar, I guess. I agree. Um, I think from a mathematical standpoint, that makes the most sense. My biggest thing is just give us the best matches and nights and cards that you possibly can, which probably includes maybe having better wrestlers in here. And if rumors are to be true, that might be coming down the line next year. So we'll wait and see how that plays out. Um, what's been your favorite block to date? Assuming the answer is D block, AKA the correct answer. How surprised are you that it is your favorite? And I got to tell you for me, I, I think it's C block. I don't think it is D block. I think C blocks just had the best matches. I like that A block feels entirely different from anything we've seen in G1 in a long time. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, you know, that's definitely uh, one way of looking at it. For me, uh, I, I just, I don't know, maybe I like the familiarity of C block. Yeah, well, yeah, C block is, there's a lot of, well, there's a lot of history in C block. There's a lot of um, history between the wrestlers in C block. So, I mean, I, I totally get that, that on paper, that's like a classic group of guys that you see wrestle each other in the g1 um i have found the a block to be super interesting just in in how they approach how they're approaching the matches differently but still you know putting on a good show if we go back to 20 men next year which of the current lineup are in danger of being dropped oh okay like eight like eight dudes yeah uh let's see in danger i'm just gonna i'm i'm just gonna run down the list and say people i think would be in danger or not available next year so you can probably say Fale, archer maybe yano though i i would be pretty surprised to see him get bounced um after this year i'm gonna leave chase in the mix i would say Ishii's on the bubble only because of rumors we've heard as well as uh, you know poor win-loss record for the, really the first time in his career he's yeah. really going to come out under under 500 um from the c block uh, everyone probably stays um and then d yujiro you probably got to put yoshihashi on the bubble and yeah. maybe el Fantasma doesn't come back to the g1 Right, right away maybe maybe there's a skip year or two so those are the guys i would put on the bubble and then you you would have some surprises that you that that don't participate maybe even someone like kenta or tai chi tai chi right someone like that someone that you think the, the reality is is that if they go to 20 men 
and there's 28 here, there's going to be at least one or two people that you think absolutely deserve to be in the G1 that won't be in the G1 next right. year is what would happen. And that's sort of the fun of that, um, but it's also frustrating. I, yeah, I also wonder if Tamatanga, I wonder how many more G1s he's got in him after he had left the tournament and then has now come back. So those are the types of guys that I think, and but Tamatanga is still obviously clearly very fit, very very in in good shape, and and can go. Um, but I do wonder, you know, if if the story arc is there for him to take on another G one next year. Pulmonary archery asked, any big twist predictions for the final day? I still think somebody's going to make the semifinals that like we haven't even discussed on today's podcast. Hmm. I'm thinking that on the finals, we see the emergence of someone from AEW or Ring of Honor slash Ring of Honor that hasn't been to Japan. You know, maybe like Brian Danielson. I'm not even saying that in conjunction to the G1 finals, but on the final night shows up in some capacity. Like, I think maybe we see like potentially him and Zach face off. I think that's tough because of travel restrictions and visas. So, cause these let guys me, don't, let me have this. Let me believe, but they don't, they don't show up for free, even for a, a face off. Right. So they, they have to have, everything all the ducks in a row and part of me feels like they're probably not bringing someone in right now just for a face-off because they have to have well, all the, the video thing they could that do counts too. so the video thing would 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 work right we'll see um that dude named menace asked is it still too early to call the g1 and i would say well probably but i, I got naito winning i think he's winning it it's too early to call the G1 until the G1 is over. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm wondering what uh, scenario he sees playing out. That yeah. Like what? Is. Yeah. But Why? I, I, I think it's still Naito and I'm like bought into it. And I'm, it, it's going to be hard to change my mind on that. Uh, In ring art said, great to see Jonah and Tom Lawler really be over with the Japanese fans. How much time do you see them spending in Japan for the rest of the year and in 2023? And I will say, I do see that Tom Lawler is working New Japan of America dates for strong, but I don't think that I see Jonah working the next two tapings, which might be an indication. Yeah, I think Jonah's going to spend more time in Japan than than Lawler, um, but that's not to say that Lawler won't get the invite back either for big shows or for um, another big tour or tournament. So um, I do think both of those guys are slated to return to Japan a couple of times over the course of the next year or so. And, but I think Jonah's going to be a little bit more of a force. And I think we're seeing that even in just the, the performance of this year's G1. Rainbow Slam Pig said of the new entrance to the tournament this year, who do you think is getting the best reaction from Japanese fans? I mean, you saw the end of that match uh, between Jonah and Okada. Like that's the biggest reaction we've seen in new Japan in Years, years, two or three years now, because of the pandemic. Yeah. So I mean, like that was a vocal, like ignore the rules reaction. It was incredible. Yeah, but they clap a lot for Tom Waller when he's about to take those pants. Well, off. yeah, I mean, <laughs> something about the the Russian nesting shorts that that really gets it going. Based on the standings of today, as well as the upcoming schedule, 
who do you think the most compelling, viable semifinal and final matchups would be? Is it different than what you thought at the beginning of the tournament? And I would say, even though there have been surprises and everything, we're not that far from where I thought we'd be, just generally speaking, aside from like maybe David Finlay leading D block. Yeah, I would not have put Finley at the at the top of D block. Um but uh, I don't know that yeah, I don't know that my opinion has changed. Like I still think Jay White's gonna go undefeated through his block. I still think the like the most likely scenario is that Okada comes out of A, Naito comes out of C, and D I've never had a really good feel for, and it's paying off with a big mess of a block. So Right. Like that has been my take all along is that D was gonna be messy and probably gonna come down to the wire, and that seems to be where we're headed. Yeah, and I I think we're going to see a Naito Okada final regardless, however everything shakes out. Um, Zach Tay6 says, of this year's G1 debuts, who was who has impressed you the most? So I'm guessing he's talking about like new entrants. Um, I mean, I, I think it's Jonah, probably. Yeah, I, I, Jonah has been probably the most impressive um Lawler has been really fun. Um cool to see, right? And I, I clearly he he's paying deference to the experience, which I think is awesome. Finley though, I mean, like I said, if we were talking 5 days ago, Finley's the the guy that would have impressed me the most, right? And Jonah just eked past him and and maybe the Finley arc is kind of over because he he got to do everything he needed to do, but um that's not to say that he hasn't been impressive. I mean, he's been really good in this tournament too. So, I, I almost didn't even say him because I forgot he's never been in one. Right, he's been with the company. It's like he's he been around been so long, right? And then he's finally he finally gets into a G one, and and it's he's doing what he can with it. Paul the Saints fan says Kevin Kelly has mentioned the possibility of playing matches on semifinal night if there are ties unbreakable by head to head. So does that mean three way ties will be decided by scramble type matches? So. We already discussed this, but yeah, I mean, a scramble match is a possibility we hadn't even thought of, I guess. I mean, if it's a seven-way tie, I think they have to do a Rambo, right? <laughs> Possibly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. If it's a seven-way um, tie, there's no other way to break it. <laughs> Morbid Suplex asked the last question here. Who's your favorite guest commentator throughout the G1, Tom, Lance, or ELP? And uh, I think I'm an ELP guy. So I liked all of them. Um, right. I, I think they all added some different flair. Like Tom Lawler, if he wants it, he has a future in commentary. If if he doesn't want to wrestle anymore, like he was, Tom Lawler's great. He was great, um, great in a way that would be like a traditional analyst or commentator, right? Not not great in the way of like he's just a wrestler talking about wrestler stuff. Like he brings a lot to the table with his history and his knowledge and um he was just incredible lance i loved that lance just like knew nothing about what has been <laughs> happening in new japan for the past like three years he knew nothing and kevin kelly was like yeah i'll catch you up like let's talk about what's going on um and elp i mean even though he thinks i'm a nerd he's pretty funny um and i i appreciate his candor on commentary in in a way that's um different from the other two so yeah i mean it's been kind of neat 
to get the wrestlers on commentary and and i think they've all brought something different to the table well that is going to do it for our coverage of the g1 uh coming up this week we have nights 14 15 16 17 and then on tuesday the 18th which will be the final block night in the nippon budokan eight matches all g1 matches back to back to back to back to back and we will be reviewing all five of those next week on keeping it strong style um this past week on new japan strong there was a second anniversary special episode it was a recap show um hosted by ian riccaboni they just did uh brief recaps of the ongoings of the past year of uh, uh new japan strong if you haven't seen it i would definitely say check it out this coming week they have high alert night one we haven't we don't know what matches are going to be on that episode. Um, we're going to skip the news. One thing I do want to mention, just because it's relevant to my excursion match of the week recommendation, this past week, Robbie Eagles made his um, way over to Mexico. He was in CMLL. The International Grand Prix coming up on August 19th. He got there early, and on Friday night, him, Ultimo Guerrero, and Gran Guerrero defeated Volador Jr. of Verno and Dragon Rojo. Uh, Eagles made Dragon Rojo tap out to the Ron Miller special. Dragon Rojo is the reigning CMLL world middleweight champion, and he made a challenge for that title, which will take place this coming Friday. So that's all ahead of the International Grand Prix tournament that is coming up that both Rocky Romero and Tiger Mask are making their way out there for that. Um, We're going to kick everything from the news to next week, uh, the other questions to next week, and then we're going to End the show here. Recommended matches of the week. So last week, I recommended Boss Rutan versus Koji Kenemoto from uh, October 26, 2002. Dave Meltzer gave this three and a quarter at the time. This is for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. And Chris, you checked this match out. What were your thoughts? So I love Boss Rutan. Um, it's like this long-standing thing that I everyone's seen the YouTube video where he's like teaching people how to like be in a bar fight right 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 so like i love this dude i don't i haven't watched a lot of boss rootin pro wrestler but this was really fun it was cool to see um you know i i do imagine him narrating it himself because that's kind of <laughs> how that video goes um so that was kind of distracting in my own brain but um you know, three and a quarter feels a little low from from old Dave over here. I thought it was a I thought it was a really it's fun an match. Correction. Yeah, it, it's it's a, it's a response to the Inokiism. He's like they're rolling around and doing MMA three and a quarter. Yeah. So, but I mean, it was just I, I I like that it's a junior heavyweight championship match, and I think everyone always expects something a little different from those than than what these guys delivered, and I think that. Um, I think that's what's actually really neat about the history of the junior heavyweight title is that there is a lot of different styles within it. And it's not like the WCW cruiserweights where like, it's always high flying. So, Mm. but this was fun. I, I appreciated it. And when, when you sent it to me, you're like, Hey man, can you watch this? I was like, dude, I love Bass Rutten. And you like thought I was, I thought, I think you thought I was being sarcastic. You were being facetious. Yeah. And I was like, no, for real. Like, I love that. I will absolutely (laughs) watch this and, and, and enjoy it. So, yeah. Yeah. I think this is the pinnacle of Bass Rutten doing worked matches. So if you guys haven't seen it, I think it's definitely worth your while to check it out. Plus it's only like 12 minutes. It's available on YouTube. So. It's very quick, um, easy watch. 
Yeah, and then I mean, it, it, YouTube might actually then recommend you the Boss Root and Bar Fight video, which <laughs> is like, I don't know how long it is, but however long it is, you've, you're booked for that amount of time. They make Koji look incredible, too. He's just taking this incredible ass beating from Boss Root, and then suddenly he just rolls into a knee bar, and it's over. And it's yep. like, how did... What? <laughs> um, last week, Jeremy recommended uh, the excursion match of the week, Kushida versus Rich Swan from Impact Wrestling ni- uh, episode 938. This was from July 16th, 2022. Um, basically, what I would tell you here, it's usually what I end up saying about almost anything that airs on Impact Television as it relates to excursion match of the week. Um, it's very good, but I wouldn't like go out of my way to see it. You know, it was probably a sub 15 minute match. And considering the two talents here, I'm sure they could probably have a, a, a really high end caliber top level match. This wasn't quite that. This was sort of establishing Kushida as a force to be reckoned with within impact his debut. And, you know, he did defeat rich Swan with the hoverboard. I'd probably go three, three quarters, uh, fun match. It's available for free on, um, you know, uh, new Japan world. If you, haven't seen it maybe check it out but it's not going to be in anything serious to consider for excursion match of the year this year um so that's going to bring us to our recommendations this week i am recommending this upcoming friday night's cmll super viernes world middleweight title match between robbie eagles and dragon rojo from arena mexico for jeremy to watch and chris what do you got for me for recommended match of the week I've got my favorite match of all time, which just crossed uh, an anniversary. So the match is Tomohiro Ishii versus Katsuyori Shibata from G1 Climax 23, night four, um, August 4th, 2013, from Osaka, um, Edeon Arena, Osaka. Actually, I think then it was probably the Bodymaker Coliseum. Yep. Same building that they were in this weekend, though. Um, it is without a doubt my favorite match and I don't ever call anything best because I don't need y'all telling me that it's not the best match of all time, but it is my favorite match of all time. It is like 12 minutes and it is a sprint. Like it is absolutely the most, um, the, the, the fastest moving and nonstop action. I mean like the cardio on these two dudes for those 12 minutes is just incredible. Like it is, it's a match for the ages. And honestly, like if you have the means to watch the entire card from eight, four 13, like it is right up there with some shows of all time. Some of the greatest wrestling shows of all time. And it's just, it's just a G one card. I mean, it's just night four of the G one. Um, but it, that was when they did all block matches uh, right. no undercard so it's 10 block matches you've guys got you've got guys like Shelton X Benjamin and Davy Boy Smith Jr and is Lance Archer on that card probably I'm pretty sure he is yeah and then you've got um Ibushi versus Nakamura the first time for the first time ever like it's a great card but the but the really standout match is Ichi, Ishii versus Shibata and this was Ishii's first G1 so he was really yep really putting it together and um you know from here on out the rest is history with that dude so shibata too but i mean you can't beat this match it's just so much fun to watch it's the match that like when people ask me what like new japan wrestling is like this is the match that i send them and i'm like hey like this is a pretty good indication of like why i enjoy this stuff yep it's one of my favorites as well and i'm looking forward to reviewing that for next week Um, That's going to do it for our coverage of this week's episode. 
Chris, thank you so much for, you know, coming on the show. We couldn't have done it without you. Uh, give us any plugs uh, on your way out. Let us know where we can find you and what you're doing, what you're up to. Sure. I can't let you know everything that I'm up to because I'm lurk- <laughs> I'm lurking in the shadows. But okay. um, I'm up to some things. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Chris Samsa, And then uh, you can find kind of my G1 hub for all my G1 work right now is sportofprowrestling.com. So you'll find the notes that I send the broadcast team and um, updated blocks and box scores and statistics around this year's G1 as well as historical G1s at sportofprowrestling.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Next week, Jeremy Donovan will be returning to broadcast action, joining me to discuss G1 Climax 32 nights, 14 through 18. And we will be joined by Karen Peterson. Um, if you've enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. Uh, you can email Jeremy at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Ladd and James Boyd, The Grave Consequences uh, Podcast with Caleb and Maserati, All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin, AEW Match Guide Podcast, hosted by Sir Sam, and The Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style. The Ace of Podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.